Welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I have my co-host, Jaden, here. Yep. Uh, and with us is uh, former guest, Calvin. How's it going? So uh, we just uh, liked having him on as a guest so much last time, we figured we'd just keep him. Uh, he yeah. was on our episode where we talked about Under the Skin, and uh, yeah, we just had a blast, all of us together, and uh, yeah, so he's going to be on, he's going to be joining us. I love having him on, great insights, he's got great suggestions on other movies to watch too, and, and he just he just knows so much, he's just like this fountain of knowledge yeah, for us. Yeah, he has mass knowledge on films. Yeah. And yeah. I just love listening to myself talk. Perfect. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. That's what we're all here for. Not so. really. It's sexually torture, but. <laughs> no, then I think, yeah, we're, we're all set. And uh, if you weren't into jazz by our awesome opening music there, you will be after this because we're talking about Whiplash, which is uh, just a great film. Fantastic. And it's based off of kind of a, a jazz uh, musician, a drummer. And uh, I think we'll let Jaden, he, he's got a good background on the film we're going to be going over. <laughs> So uh, 2014's Whiplash, starring Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, follows the story of jazz drummer Andrew Neiman, who had just gotten to school with, uh, I guess I'd say, like, top school in the country. I'm not really sure. Yeah, it says, like, he says, like, it's the best school in the country. Yeah. Best music school. And he's trying to be, like, the world's greatest drummer. Um, So he's obsessed with becoming the best drummer. I mean, he's so obsessed that he practiced till his fingers bleed. And uh, J.K. Simmons is co-starring as his instructor, Terrence Fletcher, uh, who teaches as if he was the leader of the Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this dude's awesome. Uh, I mean, J.K. Simmons is absolutely just stellar in this role. Uh, Miles Teller pretty much hate him and everything else he's in besides this movie. Uh, he also got punched in the face last night in a Hawaiian bathroom. Um, like, literally last night? Yeah, last night. He's hanging out there in Rogers in Hawaii and... Yeah, so this is May 28th. He was punched. Oh, uh, rest in peace, Harambe. It's been five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so funny because, too, we were talking earlier in this week how we think he has such a, a punchable face. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he has, and he got punched in the face. <laughs> it's prophetic. Yeah. So uh, in this movie, there's a massive power struggle between uh, Miles Teller's character and J.K. Simmons' character. Um, even though they both roughly have the same goal, which is to be the best they can be or have J.K. Simmons be the best that Miles Teller can be. Um, J.K. Simmons' character is super harsh on students. Uh, he tries to push them to be their best, uh, calling them fuckwads and retards and all kinds of inappropriate things. This movie is worth watching just to hear yeah. J.K. Simmons berate people. It is, it it is, is fantastic. His, his dialogue is incredible. Yeah. And uh, so throughout the story, Neiman finds himself needing uh, Fletcher's approval more and more throughout the film. Um, so he eventually goes through and they're doing a concert and Dude gets into a car accident, and he's late, and he's like, oh, you can't fucking play because you're late, even though he was in a car accident, and he still shows up. Like, I mean, it's it's a wild movie. It's a, it's a crazy ride. Um, I mean, at the end of it, uh, J.K. Simmons ends up losing his job because Miles Teller, you know, tells on him because it's kind of a little bitch move, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. Part I mean, it's, I think it's justified, but... Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think you just, you end up... I mean, you just compared him to the Third Reich. Like, yeah, that's, but like, that's they fair. have redeeming qualities. In, in some way, you end up liking J.K. Simmons so, so much, much in this movie yeah. just because his performance is so great that when he's like in a bad way and he gets like, yeah, he loses his job, you're like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> this poor guy, but he's awful. He is, he is actually kind of a bad dude. But I mean, he pushes his students to be the best they can be, and anyone who's had the coach like that knows how terrible that can be, um, or awesome. Um, so Fletcher gets fired, uh, and then he meets Newman in a bar, and uh, they decide. Uh, he tells Newman that he's throwing a show or a concert or whatever, and he would like him to come drum for him. Well, he tells him like, "Hey, it's all the songs we learned in the class and shit." And then uh, 
come halfway through the concert or so, it turns out that was bullshit, and uh, Fletcher's just trying to ruin his career. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's definitely a revenge move at yeah. the end for sure. But then, I mean, it becomes awesome. That is for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it more. Yeah. But one of the best endings I think I've I, ever I was seen. gonna say yeah. that this is, the, I think, of all the movies I've watched, like in the last maybe ten years, this is one of my favorites. Oh, I would say it. We, I mean, besides maybe Spider Man Two, two thousand four, this might be the best movie to come out in the yeah. past twenty years. But it's it, the ending. I because I joke. watched it. I watched it again today, uh, and I was like, I mean, I'm like tapping my foot, and I'm like, I'm literally like getting chills watching this. And this movie is great despite it being about jazz. Which is the worst form of music, I think. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But I, I, it was completely enthralled. I was absolutely into this movie from like start to finish, and it's like I think the least interesting subject matter ever. But Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons are amazing in it, and they like captivating. And I was so into this movie from start to finish. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I what was actually interesting to find out was it was originally a short that the the, the director um, Damien Chazelle did with J.K. Simmons in the Terrence Flesher role. You don't know that. Yeah, and that's how they, um, he just, he did it because he was trying to get funding for La La Land, but nobody wanted to um, give him any money for it. So he did that as more like a, a little project, and that's how they got funding for the feature film was from that. I didn't realize J.K. Simmons was in it, but I did see yeah. that he had done the short first, which I think is, I know it was like a Sundance Film Festival like short, and mm-hmm. it got like, all this acclaim, and so then he got funded for pretty much whatever he wanted. And yeah, speaking of, he did do La La Land. And he also did uh, First Man, which is like that Neil Armstrong movie that came out in 2018. So he's like, that. he's done some pretty good things. Oh, like I also have not seen La La Land. Oh yeah, he, he won the, the Best dire- uh, Director Oscar for that film at the yeah. at age 32. That's one with uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Yeah, correct? yeah. Uh, yeah dude, it's I, just like... Yeah, I'm sure I'll watch that It's fantastic. Point. That's one, like, the musical genre is one that I have a lot more respect for after school. Something that I didn't care about before, but it's just an amazing um, film form. Hugh Jackman. Really yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I haven't seen Greatest Showman, and I don't plan on. I have it. seen it, and it's I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I I just I always like to give the stats on these movies. I just think it's like a fun little thing to get into. So we were talking about funding. This had a 3.3 million dollar budget, and it ended up making 49 million dollar box office. Which I mean, it's it was a limited release too, wasn't it? I think it was limited, and then it was wide. Yeah. Uh, but still, like that's I mean that's a huge recoup on your cost, and this is not an incredibly expensive movie to film in general i mean it's not like you have crazy special effects or anything and it's yeah, just it's jazz like musicians Thanos is coming down yeah, yeah. and really anything. small uh set designs um the number of people that you need for each shot um i'd say the the probably the most complicated being either um the the final scene um or the one in the jazz festival everything else was shot in the school in the apartment um Maybe the bus. Well, I take that back. I mean, there was the car crash. That's probably, that's got to be the most expensive Expensive, scene of the whole movie. And it's like quick, but but yeah, I mean, I just think it's, it's always cool to see these movies that are like, these like kind of small, like small budget, but they ended up like making all this money back. And I think it really speaks to like that. I think you can have a successful film that is not financially successful, but it's cool to see these ones that are like lower budget and then they like make a bunch back. Yeah. I think it's cool. Especially like. Because, like I said, this is I don't love jazz, but I love this movie. And yeah. I don't think this is a movie that appeals to a ton of people, but it obviously, like, it did financially pretty well. And I think it's cool that, like, something like this gets put out in general. Yeah, and it's it's the difference between high concept and execution. 
execution always wins out. Um, the only time that concept wins out over execution is when it also executes well. <laughs> it's not really a film that you're going to find that's great that doesn't execute well. So when you take a simple story and you just focus on the basics, like the same thing with Under the Skin, you took this giant this giant film about um, you know mass farming, about um, class politics, and you boiled it down to a character study, and it worked so, so well because you did what you could with the medium and told the perfect story. And it does it. I mean, we already talked about this movie, but it does it with like very little dialogue too. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's a very it's a very well done movie. Yeah, you should listen to our other episode about it. It's great. It is good. There's boobs in it. <laughs> so the <That's>... the movie, <laughs> I like how it starts out. So Miles Teller's character is just like practicing, and it doesn't like give you any background. You don't know he's in school right off the bat. You just see him. He's in a room practicing playing drums. Oh, you hear you hear the music first. You just hear the the drums, and it's black. Yeah, and then it just pops up the the title. And uh, and so he's playing, and then just J.K. Simmons' characters comes in. Well, actually, that's so that's one of my favorite. The the idea of the camera as a character as perspective. So we open up from the black, um, and it's just instantly you can see Miles Teller down the hall, and we're at the end, and the camera slowly um, dollies forward until we're just outside of the door frame, and then. I can't remember if J.K. Simmons says something or if Miles Teller notices he's there. He looks at yeah. the camera, and it's that switch of the camera was always J.K. He was basically J.K. Simmons' character, but you were seeing it from his perspective, and that yeah. was the whole opening, which was really that's a really fun thing. No, yeah, I and and just the way he's introduced, I think, is awesome because he's like, "Why'd you stop playing?" He's like, "You know, I'm here to." He's like, "I'm looking for players." You know that, right? And then Miles Teller is just. He starts playing drums again. He's like, "Did I tell you to start playing?" He's like, "Your your response to to just be this, like a, a he calls him something vulgar. a wind up monkey." Yeah, like he calls him like a baboon or something. Yeah, and then he's like, he starts playing again, and he just like, and so you just get this immediate like uh, introduction to him. He's like, "Oh, this guy is an asshole." Like, yeah, right off the bat, like there's no like, "Oh, I'm I'm, I'm his name's Fletcher." He's not like, "I'm yeah. I'm this teacher. I run the studio band. You know, I'm I'm looking for." For drummers, like you know, show me what being you kind of creepy. He just walks in and yeah. he's like a dick right away, and so it's just like yep. a great introduction to his character. You know, he's like no nonsense right off the bat, and I love that. Yeah, and a big technical thing. I'd say that the largest technical focus in the whole film is lighting. Um, how he walks out of the shadows of the door frame as kind of this mysterious, almost godlike. I mean, that's that's a big uh, motif throughout the whole film is how he's basically um venerated as some demigod to all of his students um and him walking out of the shadows like that third uh, reich that's <laughs> i love that a fair comparison <laughs> <laughs> so he listens to uh miles taylor uh, character play a little bit and then he just like walks out of the room because he's like okay this kid's no good he's he just like disappears and then he walks back in and you see like the joy on it just grabs his, 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 his face, and he's like, oh, he came back. Like, I must be a good drummer. He's like, oops, forgot my hat, yeah. and then leaves. Like, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and I think it sets up the whole movie. Uh, it, the whole thing is about, like, he's just kind of, like, messing with him and doing all this stuff to, like, push him to be a better musician. And it starts, like, right in the first scene. He, like, you know, he, he doesn't, like, encourage him. He's not, like, a, you know, he's not, like a, a loving father figure or something like that. He's basically torturing him mentally. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. I mean, he's he's 
doing. He knows what he's doing. He's very aggressive and and he's like very he's pretty mean about everything he does. But the whole point is to like to push him to be a better musician and 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 there's there's a lot of times where he kind of uses Neiman's background against him. Uh, yeah, which I think is great. fucking mom walked out on you. Yeah. No wonder. Like, yeah. Speaking shit. of, uh, we'll get more into archetypes when we talk yeah. about the lighthouse. But I love how they use the archetype of of the old man father figure and twisted it um, to set up this narcissistic abusive relationship that he has with his students. So he he comes on as as the mentor, as um, the one with wisdom, just have fun. You know, we're, we're here to learn that type of thing. But, and he's also, he has a few lines that are actually um, prophetic in nature, which is in another part aspect of the archetype of the old man. But how he turns that on its head is, it, it, it's what makes him so, so good at being abusive. And what makes the role so much fun is it's not even necessarily just the shouting. Anybody can just get up and shout sometimes. It's how he can play both sides of the loving, caring, empathetic teacher and the complete asshole. Yeah, I think there would be people who watch this movie and, and think he's just – yeah, he's just being mean for the sake of it. And then you you know, you know, find out later on he's like not really – he's like, he's like, you know, I that's how I'm pushing you. Like that's my goal is to make the best musicians I can have. And I think if you if you go into this and you you don't realize that, then he just seems like a dick the whole movie. I mean, uh, but at the same time, it's you you look at the the last scene, you know, where he he basically self sabotages his own band ch- just to put one over on a kid. Yeah, right. Like it's it's weird how the, the kid ruined his career. I mean, yeah, well, no, I mean, I wouldn't say that. Like the thing is, it's like he just didn't learn from his from his own mistakes, and like if you're gonna let a little kid ruin your career and then continue to ruin your career by ruining his, that kind of self-sabotage is what makes him so crazy. And it's, it's fun looking at um, the, the mirror image of Neiman and Fletcher, how they both sabotage, self-sabotage for what they think is their ultimate purpose. Yeah, right, yeah. Which is uh, one thing I took from this movie is there's a massive power struggle between the two the entire film. Yeah, and uh, pretty much uh, Fletcher. I mean, owns him for ninety five percent of the movie. Yep, yeah. and it's and it's really about um, you know another thing, another archetype you could look at is um, self and shadow self here. Shadow self being um, Fletcher and reflected back against uh, uh, Neiman. Neiman is still just burgeoning. He wants to be. Um, this perfectionist um, and he's letting out bits of the Fletcher persona in why he breaks up with Nicole is because that is like Fletcher is his, uh, his shadow self, this, this really like driven madman that he just tries to keep under wraps. I forgot all about the girlfriend. Oh, I have a good note about the girlfriend. Yeah. She's, I just felt like she's kind of lame. Yeah. She's, she's not really like a character as much as she is, um, a obstacle or yeah 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 yeah. what it's it's you know i think (sighs) she she's in the movie to to push neiman's character to like realize like okay if i want to be a serious drummer like i'm going to get rid of everything else that's a distraction she's only in the movie to be essentially broken up with and cut out of the movie yeah and if you want to get in feminist theory like she's like a woman in the refrigerator i don't know if you've ever heard about that what the fuck (laughs) it's it's a reference in uh in comic books generally the (gasps) 
Isn't that a Hawkeye? No, I don't remember what it is. I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, so Women in Refrigerator is a giant list of female characters that have um, basically been killed uh, as the significant other to a main superhero to progress their narrative. And it's just it's it's a it's a massive list. It's a, a really old trope yeah. because you have so many stories told from male perspective, and that's really what yeah. all she's focused. It's, it's not like yeah, it's from a Green Lantern comic. I remember now, but it's yeah. not like yeah, your regular is. Green Lantern. It's like one of the other Green Lanterns like that the they tried to bring. Other ones yeah. Yeah, they have. yeah, so yeah, but it's from that. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking. She's about. She's killed and stuffed in a refrigerator, and that's what that's Which what is you've insane. Been like, yeah, exactly. So that's all. She, that's all she really function at, functions as. Is she's not even meant to be a character, um, which is kind of sad. But at the same time, because I feel like there there, there could have been a better way to to move Neiman's character arc without introducing a uh, you know an empty female character for that sense. Like really, like it would have been better like using his dad. You know. The whole relationship with his dad is so interesting because it's awkward. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not even so much awkward as it's like he's looking for validation. He's looking for like, you know, I want to be seen and like and there are some clunky aspects in the dialogue, like, I just don't understand you. But what's so strange is like his dad comes off as such a warm, loving, caring person. Like, yeah, go pursue your dreams. Let's go watch movies together. Like he's he fills the role that that Fletcher seems to be filling for Neiman so well. It, it it I struggle to see why he's looking, f- why he looks to Fletcher's approval. You know, because you would normally it would be something to replace uh, a father's love. Um, I got a sense that like that, yeah, the father was supportive, but like he didn't get it, and Neiman was kind of maybe getting tired of trying to explain why what he was doing was so important to him, or or why like him being like. There's a scene where he's having dinner with his dad, and they're with like some family friends. And the football player. And yeah. What's going on? Yeah. And uh, he starts talking about. It. He's like, "Oh, I made like I'm a, a, a like a regular. I'm a member of the studio band." And they have no fucking idea. And, and, and they yeah. immediately start talking over him. And like I've been in, I think I like that scene a lot because like I've been in that position before. Like, I think everyone has. Where you're trying to explain like why what you're doing is important. Why not only it's important to you, but why you think it's important in general. Like why other people should appreciate it. And then, but people just don't get it. Mm. Well, so, yeah, yeah, it's not like, I mean, being an artist of any kind, musician or any other kind of artist is that uh, it's not really reflective on like the way you feel to like mass society. Like, I think that's why like the football thing is huge. Cause like, I mean, m- most Americans love football, especially dads. Like they want to see their kids. Yeah. Cause one of the family friends, his, his son is on the football team. They have another yeah. son who's like running mock UNs or some, something like that. Yeah. And they totally gloss over Neiman, and they're like, "Oh yeah, look at how good our football player son." And then he's like, "Yeah, Division Three. Yeah, and, and I just, love that. Yeah, it's awesome. He's like, "You guys have no idea like what I'm doing here." He's like, like "This is literally the best school. I'm the drummer at the best school for this yeah. job, and like, you guys don't get how big a deal this is." And then I love the other dad. He's like, "Oh, you don't have any friends, do you?" He's like, "Nope, didn't see a need for him." <laughs> it's just, like, it just, it's. And that's kind of later in the movie, and it builds to that like where Neiman is really like he's so laser focused on like mm. being one of the great jazz drummers, which I think is awesome. And uh, I just want to go to, like, kind of the – there's, like, a tryout scene. It's, like, early on, and uh, Neiman gets brought in, and uh, J.K. Simmons is, like, listening to everyone, and he can – because they're in, like, the – they're not in the studio band. They're in, like, kind of the – they're, like, first-year students, like, the starting-out band. And 
J.K. Simmons Fletcher comes in to like listen to each group, like you know the the woodwinds and the horns and all that. And he listens for like two seconds, and he's like he knows who's good, he knows who's bad, and uh, I think that really like reinforces his character is like you do look up to people who are like experts in their craft or their field or whatever. And I think that enforces like that feeling that Neiman has like, Oh, this guy really knows what he's doing. Cause he just like, he'll have him play like two notes and then like cut him off. He's like, Nope. He's like, let's, there's like a girl like playing like first chair trumpet or something. He's like, let's see if you got first chair because you're cute. And she like plays like garbage. And he's like, yep, I knew it. Like <laughs> he just, he, he only cares about like if you're skilled enough, yeah. he has no tolerance for like any tomfoolery or anything like that. Yeah. And not only, does he it's not even it it doesn't even matter whether or not he can tell immediately it's what it does to reinforce his persona this um you know why you should worship me why i'm so good at this is like i can tell just from two seconds i don't i don't need to be bothered by your why bullshit. I have this tiny little mustache <laughs> yeah i think there are a lot of great scenes that just really really establish like his character and like reinforce that like he is he's the one in control like he's the in a power dynamic, like he's the one in charge or not. Yeah. And everyone has like this great adoration, admiration for him. And, uh, or I think, yeah. And I, I think it's like a combination of both. Like, but, but yeah, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of scenes like that, that really reinforce that. Like, okay, he's like, he's in charge. Like yeah. this guy knows what he's doing. And yeah. Oh, one of my favorites is when he walks into, uh, the studio band for the first time, everyone's, you know, Neiman, <laughs> Neiman showed up, t uh, there at six, like he was told. Uh, yeah, yeah. Three hours before, because he's just he's just messing with him and just, um, huh, yeah, that that kind of stuff is so, uh, so gross to me. Um, he doesn't oh, even it reminds care. me so much of my wrestling coach, Ugh. House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was very much he pushed and he called me a little dumb fucking faggot all the time and stuff. But I won, dude. Whoa. So. <laughs> but yeah, so what everyone good, is what a good coach. <laughs> yeah, but, I, exactly. but that's like the same. I think you get. You clearly get a lot of that from Fletcher in this too. It's yeah. like, you know, he, he doesn't care about your feelings. He cares about your performance, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's funny, he doesn't care about your performance so much as it enhances his, you know, his image and his mystique. He was always looking for that Charlie Parker. But when he does look, when he does first walk into the studio, bam, everyone was talking, tuning, and they all stop. They all look down. And there's this great shot um, where the camera pans over uh, at least the trombone players. I remember the trombone players because the dude with the, with the curly hair. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, but um, do you think you're out of tune? <laughs> but uh, it pans over everybody, and their eyes are all averted to the floor, are all cast down, and it's silent. And the way the lighting behind him is framed, it's it's like. Here is uh, this God in front of his disciples or um, apostates, um, you know, worshiping him, giving reverence and like, this is your stage. This is your story type thing. I got real uh, like military vibes from that. So like mm -hmm. I was in the Navy and like, you know, when, when your commanding officer comes in, they call like attention on deck. And that's like essentially what happens in this. He walks in the room, everyone stands up and it's like, it's just like this sign of respect for someone who's like higher rank is above you and i got that's exactly what i thought i got huge vibes from that it's like you may not even have had a conversation with your like commanding officer like when you're in the military you know you, you he's not like really a guy you get to know very well if you're kind of lower down uh but when he comes around like you you pop up and like you show him that respect for like the position he's in and i i thought that a lot about fletcher is like when he walks in like everyone just like knows like hey this guy you know we 
it's kind of like you said. Uh, I don't. I didn't really get that they were worshiping him. Yeah, but, but that's that's your film background coming out. You're you're probably gleaning more from that than I did. But I just thought it was like a big like show of respect because that's like that's what you do in the military. You know, you you pop up when the big guys come around. Yeah, and it it, it might be me reading too much into it. There's there's just so much uh, religious subtext to um, the history of the film, um, just in general. Um, the world used to be more religious, um, especially in, in terms of its artistic expression and in terms of its construction of myths. So the myths themselves contain a lot of that religious imagery already. So you do get a lot of shots um, uh, in a historical sense that mirror those ideas. Yeah. What do you think? So Jaden mentioned earlier that like he goes at this, like, I think it's like the, I think it's a, the, is it the, the trombones? trombones? Yeah. Yeah. For like being out of tune, right? Yeah, he's like, so he's asking. He's like, I hear someone out of tune, like while they're playing, and uh, he's like, whoever it is, just speak the fuck up. And like, obviously, nobody wants to be that person. That's a terrifying situation yeah. to be in. Like, no one wants to be wrong, yeah. and no one wants to be wrong in front of people, yeah. like their peers, who they're supposed to be, like this great band, you yeah. know. And like, you can see the fear struck in just everybody's fucking face. Like, it's like no one has any idea if they were the one out of tune or not. Yeah. And then uh, he goes up to the guy. And, the guy who was out of tune, I guess. I don't even... I have no idea. Uh, well, he ends up telling him like he wasn't out of no, tune. No, no, yeah. 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 And he's like, he's like, were you out of fucking tune? He's like, yeah, yes, sir. He's like, why the fuck didn't you say so? <laughs> and it's he's just so aggressive, man. Well, yeah. And so then he's like, he's you know, yells at him to get out. Yeah. And then he's like, by the way, he wasn't even out of tune. He like points out a different trombone player. He's like, you were the one out of tune. But he's like, the fact that he didn't know is, yeah. is worse. And it's like it again. It just shows like how which is, seriously he takes this, which like, is so weird because it's the opposite of what he just said. You know, he was saying um, you're either. Oh no, no, he did say so. I, I find it strange though that he did say not knowing is worse than intentionally trying to sabotage the band. Yeah, because he does get mad because he's like either you know he's either you're too dumb to know you're out of tune or you're intentionally sabotaging my band. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 and but but. Not knowing is worse, which I thought, I don't know. There's a, there's a difference, I think, between volition and incompetence. And I, f I feel like incompetence is easier to be fixed than um, willfully being out of line. I, just think, I, I don't know if I agree with that because I believe the reason why he says that is because like he could see how someone, one of his students would disagree with him or dislike him and would intentionally sabotage something. But that's okay. Like, yeah, you're a dickhead like me but at least you're intelligent enough to know what you're doing someone who doesn't know you have no fucking right to be here well yeah and i think it's also it's like if you don't know you're out of tune then it's like that's also bad but if you can't even tell that you're in tune i think he's also just as mad about that yeah. so it's like he was in tune and he still was like too scared in that moment to realize i think what was going on yeah. i think that just it's double speak it's yeah. um there's a specific term that uh nars that uh, that's used for it's not no win games. It's something like that. Basically, whatever your answer is is wrong, and that's what that's the language of of an abuser setting you up so that no matter what you do, lose lose situation. Exactly. There's it, something. It, there's another term to, for it even, um, but it's exactly that in terms of in terms of a dynamic. It's um, no matter what you say, there's no there's no good answer. You're still going to get berated um, because you've been presented with this situation. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I just think that he just shows that you know he's it, 
you're kind of wrong no matter what, but like at least like have the balls to like yeah like stand up. And I think Neiman, that's something about his character. He, he like gets into it with Fletcher a lot in this movie, and, and no one else in the band does that at all. Well, I feel like Fletcher also has that. Uh, Neiman has a kind of false sense of favoritism from Fletcher that he thinks because like he watched him like in the room before he was in the band and stuff like that, that he's, and he's a freshman and all this stuff that he deserves. I think there is favoritism because I think Fletcher is doing everything he can to help Newman out or Neiman out, but he expresses that in a way that like he is like hates him. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing is too, is that Neiman isn't broken yet being a squeaker. Well, and that, that's, that's fun too. Um, later on in the film, we didn't know what that, that term meant. Um, but he referred to uh, Sean Casey as someone who just squeaked in, um, wasn't well known, and just barely made it into the school. So oh, shit. that's okay. what squeaker meant. I thought it was like you know when you're like when you're like young and you got like a squeaky little voice. That's what I thought it was like. Yeah. Oh, this is the young kid. He's a little yeah. squeaker. The yeah, one. and it, it could <laughs> that's be. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, and it could be that it functions so well uh, as both either. But yeah. I just I like I like thinking that since we used specifically squeaking another place in the film to refer to someone who just barely made it in. Yeah, no, it's I like a pejorative that. term. That's another one where like when I describe this movie to people, tell them about it. I'm gonna tell them that I thought of that, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna be like, yeah. <laughs> Check this out. I know this movie really well. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know I'll give you no credit. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine as long as the the word gets out. You know, it's like I don't I don't do this I don't do this shit for fun. <laughs> so the other thing I like about that scene. So this is the first time he's in studio band still, and you know he introduces him as a squeaker and whatnot, and they are gonna play the the, the titular song, the Whiplash. They're gonna start playing it, and there is. That's so, the name of the movie. There's so much tension built in that scene, which again, like, I don't know how you make a movie so intriguing about fucking jazz. <laughs> but he's like, he's got them, they're, they're all tuned up, and they're all like really, they're waiting for his cue. And he's, it's like a kind of a slow pan around him that goes to his hand, and he's like about to like count him in and like, cue him in. And I was like, edge of my seat, like, oh my God, they're going to play music. Like, I know what's going to happen. But like, <laughs> I was so ready for it, and it, it is, I think it's cool. Because I think there are movies that are supposed to have tension before, like, a war or a battle or, like, before mm-hmm. some kind of epic event that don't execute it nearly as well as this movie did for just a, a piece of music. A and that's practice uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I was like, oh, man, like, yes, they're going to play. Oh, when is it going <laughs> to start? I was so excited. Yeah. And I think, yeah, this the the whole way this movie is executed is great. And and uh, Callan mentioned earlier, this guy, I think he's, like, 32. I think he was 28 when the movie came out or something like that. The director. Um... I want to say he was 30. Well, either way, I'm almost 30, and I have not directed a single movie, much <laughs> less a feature-length film that made $49 million. Yeah, and so, like, that's so impressive to me to be like, he's like he's he's young but, like, so good at this craft that he just put together a great movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm confident that, I, I mean, I haven't seen La La Land, and I want to go watch it, but after, because I didn't realize he directed that until a little bit later. But, uh, like, I want to see that because he did so great at this movie, and it's something I don't really care about. Yeah, like this the the subject matter in the movie and so but he executed so well that I'm like oh but you become interested I want to see yeah. like his other stuff yeah and you know speaking of the tension that that's built up um it's there's there are strong such sexual connotations to everything building up to that um everyone sucking on the reeds blowing the spit out of the the trumpets and the trombones all of these very quick rhythmic shots and close-ups on all of the instruments uh people with mouths on their instruments um 
I can't really figure out the that's that's one thing I didn't think about enough. Um, you know what what they're there for, but it it was clear that with also the pejoratives that he's using to uh, demean everyone. He calls everyone cocksuckers yeah, the whole movie. Cocksuck. <laughs> yeah. It's and it's reinforcing that sexual like this is the high, and it's using. I I feel like it's using sex as a vehicle for to establish the power dynamic. You're gay, which is obviously to him a lesser um you know a denigrated person within society that's not the way this podcast feels agreed um but that's how it functions to him and it's how it functions as as the words and so to make those visual um uh visual the visual um allegory of uh, matching with the words of what he's saying um reinforces the power dynamic of who is above and who is below yeah i didn't I didn't catch that at all. Me either. To me, I was Not just like, one bit. Yeah. And and it's like you said. I think you said it because well, you were like, I don't really know what it's there for. And I, you kind of, I think, explained it well. I think it could be there for a reason for sure. I think if you have, it's just not. It's just not in enough in in the rest of the film. It's yeah, really I, only I, in these these practice scenes. So I guess yeah, I would have never picked up on that. But I, I don't think it's like important to like really sway how you feel about the movie or the characters or the dynamics within the movie. But like, that's an interesting thing to bring up. And, and again, that's why we have you on. Yeah. And, and not only are the, the, the subject matter of the shots, but also the feeling of them. Um, I like to think of shots like this as very, being very tactile. I kind of wish there was a little bit less. It wasn't so rhythmic. It wasn't so quick because I love film that loves to put the mic right up next to the sound, like the touch of skin on skin, just, and it doesn't even, not even in a sexual way, but just the, the hearing that on film, something slow, like this scritch scratch, but you feel it, you know what that feeling is. And like the, uh, the pitter patter of the uh, sticks on the, uh, the drum head and all of that. It, it's, it's so sensory. I um, remember bringing that up when we were talking about under the skin, mm -hmm. there's a part like the second half of the movie, they're just like so focused on like her footsteps, and it's like it, it's yeah. like that's another thing. I get you. Are you talking about you? You want like kind of that tactile, like you know, like like really experiencing that sound, and and it is just like recorded music because they weren't actually like they were playing, but that's not like what's the audio that's used. Yeah. They so there's there are terms for that. Um, so yeah, there there's audio um, that is played, um, and you hear it. That would be called diegetic sound. Um, there is audio that would be post-installed, but it's meant to mirror the thing that's that's in the shot. That's also diegetic sound, and then music that is not being played on scene. Basically, like any type of atmosphere, like when he's walking on the street and you hear jazz, jazz, and there's there's no band anywhere. That's non-diegetic sound. So it's fun looking at what is diegetic and what is non-diegetic and how that moves the uh, moves the film. Oh no, that's. See, I love learning this terminology for sure. Uh, so they do this kind of like practice and then they take a break. And Fletcher and Neiman are in this hallway outside the uh, their little practice room. And this is the first time like Fletcher kind of tries to get to know him a little bit. And he asks him like, oh, like, you know, like, do you have family that are musicians and stuff? And, and it's I think it's a the scene is not really about what the dialogue is. So I'm gathering ammo. Well, I don't even I mean, it is that. But yeah. uh so Neiman is he has his back to the wall and Fletcher like leans into him puts his hand on the on the wall behind Neiman and like really leans in and he's like trying to be jovial and cheerful he's like oh like oh how's your mom or whatever and he's like oh she passed away or she left yeah. and he's like oh what does your dad do he's a teacher and he's like college and he's like no high school and he's like oh 
and uh, so yeah, he is gathering ammo, but he sounds like he's genuinely interested. Yeah. But mm-hmm. his body position and like his posture and like his his body language is so aggressive. I mean, he's got the hand on the wall next to him. He's like really close, and it's a very uh, to me. I saw that and I was like, that's so uncomfortable. Like he seems like he's trying to be nice, but it's still like a t- establishing like like we've been talking about this like power dynamic between them. He's like he's in charge. Like mm-hmm. even when he's trying to be nice, he's like really aggressive about it. Yeah, almost like too forward with how casual he is you know like we're you know we're he's it's not only is it aggressive but it also seems to suggest that you know we're close enough that i can stand this close right you know we're good friends right it's basically um presupposing that his um his power moves beyond what would be socially acceptable and so that to so that he can seem to name and like they are um better established acquaintances than they really are I thought that was that was fun too. Like yeah. Both both of them like, and it's just the, the same thing again. It's the playbook of the abuser. Like, I want to sound like it, it's stuff like that that really makes you know that there's no real redeeming quality to him because it's not to get to know Neiman. It's to get under Neiman's skin so that he can serve the purpose of being the best mu- musician that I can ever make. And I only care about that. Yeah, everything about Fletcher's character is manipulating Neiman. Like nothing about it is like a, uh, like we talked about it. Nothing about it is like a warm father figure no. who like actually cares. Like or nothing teaching. about it. Yeah, there's nothing. What's so crazy is he's not even teaching him anything. He's just making him to the. He's just trying to break him to the point to go crazy to practice so much. Like he's not. He hasn't provided him with a single bit of wisdom throughout the entire film, which is. Which is one of the craziest parts. Yeah, you're right. There, there's like Neiman's in a class for like two seconds, and they have like a different teacher, and he's they want to go through some piece of music, and they're like, "Oh, go through your scales or whatever." But there, there is essentially like no teaching in this movie, and it's, it takes place at a school. But yeah, no, that's a good point to bring up there. He he doesn't like give any nuggets of wisdom. It's just it's literally just he's just trying to push these guys to like be as good as they can be. Yeah. But yeah, so another um, another one of my favorite techniques, like throughout the whole film, there are actually two things that I really, really enjoyed that were small uh, that you wouldn't notice, but they kind of add to the overall um, atmosphere of the film. The first thing is, is the uh, the passing dialogue. I don't know if you ever caught any of the lines of like in the first, the beginning of the film, there are two girls that walk by Neiman in a hall and they say uh, uh, something, something you don't want to embarrass yourself. Like what's his face? Yeah. Truly pathetic. And yeah, it's, but Neiman looks at them because what it is to me is it's this inner monologue. And it's also, I mean, obviously prophetic um, for, for this story, but, all of those serve uh, a purpose. I'm trying to see if I wrote down any of the other ones. But same thing when they're watching the the movie um, with his dad on the couch, and the dialogue in the film was talking about uh, being ba- how bachelors live longer in life. And uh, no, I didn't hear oh, any of that. Wow, yeah, okay. All of it. All of it was chosen specifically um, to either reflect an opinion of the of the character um or the or their inner thoughts or to give commentary on um the character's life yeah no i hadn't i hadn't caught any of that yeah that that one was one of my favorites 
All right, so the next uh, we we kind of mentioned the girlfriend earlier how she's kind of like a sort of a plot device to like move uh Neiman forward. Uh but so he asks her out. She like works the concessions at the theater that he goes to his uh with his dad to the movies. And then he asks her on a date and they they go out on a pizza date and they're kind of trying to get more background on each other, talk about the schools they're going to and he's like so driven to be this great drummer and uh he asks her like oh what school do you go to what are you going for and she's like i don't have a major i don't really know he's like how do you not know yeah he's like you're a piece of shit he's like he's so condescending in this scene and she's like gets like upset and she's like what are you going to school for like why do you go there and he's like it's the best like jazz school in the country he's like i want to be one of the best drummers ever and he's such a prick and I, and I think it's it's again it it sets up like the split they're gonna have later where it's like she's not driven like she's just kind of trying to figure it out and he is absolutely driven and he does know what he wants to do and it's like he's willing to he's gonna give this relationship a shot but he realizes later on like that it's not worth it to him anymore and I I I like the scene there's a lot of like tension in it I thought where where it's very like, awkward she's yeah, I, yeah that was my note I was like awkward date scene but, yeah because <laughs> yeah. she's like well why are you going in there and, and he like has an answer right away and mm-hmm. I, it just shows like it shows like the kind of drive of his character yeah and it's and it's funny how they well I wouldn't say funny it's it's really interesting <laughs> it's cool yeah I know it's too many too many adjectives um what I love. Uh, as a device is how they used school names to also mirror status so his drive is reflected in it being Schaefer it's the best school and why'd you go to Fordham well Fordham is Fordham and his dad Fordham is affordable (laughs) 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 but also his dad who is only a high school teacher went to Carleton and that connotes something to this fictional universe and why uh the family friends um who play at uh division at, three at, play at a division three school <laughs> it's another reflection of status as equivalent to drive as equivalent to um who you are as a person who you're going to be remembered as so another thing continuing with that uh <laughs> that's the the sexual um image imagery is uh when he is uh when the dad of the the dude that plays football is at the dinner table and uh he's unimpressed with uh neiman telling him that he's the um studio um drummer he has a piece of limp asparagus pointing at his son like yeah that's cool but 92 yard touchdown school record and just like yeah no one gives it you know a shit about your limp dick achievement dude i think i think callan just wants to get laid (laughs) (laughs) he's like i notice all these sexual references yeah yeah i really want to be covered in all that trombone saliva (laughs) dude there is a scene yeah because they 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 practice whiplash the first time and it goes to like a a trumpet player a trombone player but he like releases some valve just spits it out yep yeah playing clarinet it just drips out the bottom oh my god usually it took it it would take all class for it to finally get down there but you had like a little cloth and you'd wipe out the bell yeah yeah i want to talk tuba and it sucked (laughs) i want to talk about the like not my tempo scene where he's just like which one I guess the first one where he brings him on as a squeaker in the first time he's in the no it'd be the second one so when it's just the, when it's the three of them when he brought on Connolly as well no I guess the first one with the slaps that's what I want to get to is the slaps mm, that was yeah that was the first one yeah and so he's so I was doing a little research on the scene and 
the first couple times they went through it, because you know he's like, he's like counting. He's like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and he will slap him like before the four, and he's like, "Am I rushing or am I dragging?" And he's like, "I don't know," and he's like, counts again, and he slaps him again, and he's like, "Am I rushing or dragging?" And he's like, "Oh, you're rushing." I guess they first filmed that like a couple times where J.K. Simmons like is not really slapping Miles Teller, and then. They were like, okay, I think like we got this down, and they like discussed it just as actors. Like, I I guess the director wasn't in on it. He's like, okay, like you really need to hit me on this one. And so like the one the cut that made it into the film is like he's really being slapped. Like J.K. Yeah. Simmons is really like laying into him, like, <laughs> and and it turns out he was rushing the whole time. That's awesome. I just I, I love scene. little like bits about that in movie where it's like, oh like you think this scene like this scene is done so well it feels so real. It's that's like well sometimes it is because like, yeah, he's really getting hit in the face. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wonder about when he throws the chair. You know, whether that was a uh, whether that was a depth of field trick or whether he mm-hmm. actually threw a chair above uh, Miles Teller. Yeah, he he throws a chair in this movie. Like, yeah, J.K. Yeah. Simmons is wild in this. He's movie. wild. He's also like, kind of jacked. Dude, he's in good shape. In this oh, movie. Yeah. yeah, dude, he has this like tight black shirt on. Yeah. he's got his biceps busting out. I was like, like oh man, my God. yeah, yeah. Dude, more wanna... sexual overtones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you 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 were going on last week about Scarlett Johansson. I came for the J.K. Simmons <laughs> show. <laughs> oh my god! And that's that's always how I tell people to get interested in this movie. Have you ever seen J.K. Simmons' biceps? Dude, they're, he's yoked, man. So yeah. he was he was working out for the the role of uh, Gordon or whatever in uh, Justice League. And there's like pictures of him in the gym, and he's fucking yoked, dude. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my second leading question: If that one doesn't get him, I was like, "Do you like jazz?" <laughs> <laughs> also bad. <laughs> so, one thing I noticed throughout the movie is is the lighting is it's like very like orangey yellow throughout it, and I was actually kind of I was kind of thinking like maybe as the characters change or in their if they're in different situations, maybe the lighting would change to kind of be like a visual cue that they're in like a different state or something like that, like a. But it doesn't. It stays the same way the whole time, and I wonder mm-hmm. why that is. No, it's the color temperature stays the same. We we uh, have a very orange, uh, warm tone every time. We'll get we'll lead into um, why it's strange. It's only when they're playing in the band, in playing um, in either the studio band or in the final scene, um, and. The way that uh, the lighting is is shown on J.K. Simmons' face is very much to create um, the idea of. Um, I mean, you, you've seen like the saintly icons, how they have those glow, like the silhouette, with the Jesus him. candles. Yep, that is why. Uh, that's how he's always shot with those behind him. And if you'll notice too, the way that lighting is shown on the the band, it's a lot darker. Um, to sh- again reinforce those power dynamics you know it, it what it is is like it doesn't seem like it's a big deal but all of the small things the editing the uh uh the quick touches on all of the instruments the close-ups the lighting all of that is why this film works so well like if you wanted to go and remake uh, a film like oh i don't know anything about movies i can make this movie i can make a just get a really good actor who screams and yells all the time like it isn't as much the script that makes this uh such a great film it's also all of these small little details that build up that build the scene without dialogue again without dialogue which is what's so key but yeah the the lighting is so so important especially when it comes to the last scene how it changes but it's the 
it's the palette um, that's that stays the same. Yeah, because I think about how different it would look like. What if they went like cooler with it? You know, you got a lot more like blue tones and stuff in it. And, like I, mm-hmm. I, that's just like something that, like right off the bat, I was like, oh, like this is. It clearly is like leaning towards like warmer tones the whole movie. That's like how it's lit, and I'm well, assuming some of that's like some. Is that all lighting, or do you think it's like some post stuff that to saturate it up and whatnot? Could be post, but it's definitely easier to do that. Um, I can't. I don't know what what this was shot on. Um, I I know the push for digital has been greater in the last decade than it was um, in the aughts, but uh, if it was shot on film much much easier to do it um you don't know if it's super 8 or super 16 i remember those terms yeah, from yeah. We, we don't we don't really shoot on super 8 anymore <laughs> but super 16 we would i know what it is, is yeah there a movie called super 8 uh yeah yeah there is it's, a, it's like an alien movie yeah. and it's because he has a super 8 film camera that is he, that why yeah, yeah that's because and that's how he catches the monster what the heck? Huh. Oh learning new things every day i didn't yeah. know that that's also you know the super 8 motel yeah is it because they film yeah. pornos in there with Super 8 films? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to know the answer. <laughs> Can't speak to that. <laughs> oh, I had no not, idea. I won't be Googling that. <laughs> Wait, so it's called Super 8 because it's based off of the film? Yeah. Why? Is... Did the guy who started the Super 8 I mean, chain? it's just – I don't – it's probably just um, – I mean, it's just the same thing. It's too much of a coincidence for him to just be like, yeah, it's – Super Eight. Okay. It might have started as some other entity, and they just carried over the name. Heck, oh, I, I, yeah. But I don't know. So if this was shot on um, film, then what you do is you get a very uh, light is color uh, color sensitive. Obviously, you know you have LEDs, you have um, fluorescence. All of those give off a general hue that um, are a lot more noticeable on film. So if you want like sepia tones or, or sepia, I can't remember what the proper i say sepia i say i say uh yeah too much too much spanish too much latin to to know what the americanized version of some words are but um if you want whatever you say is probably fine yeah 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 we can just cut that and uh (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so all of it's a lot easier on um in uh, production, you just get a, a color. You get the lights for the set for your whole shoot set up to a specific color temperature, and you'll get that hue um, okay. in, uh, from the film. You could put a filter on uh, in the in the lens camera too, if you wanted a, a specific like that's how you get the sepia sepia uh, or like a cyan. <laughs> Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> this way this way I won't be wrong. Just pick <laughs> just pick one <laughs> sepia tone filter. Um, I think it's sepia. I oh my God, don't. Stop. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can, uh, or just like a like a cyan one if you want more of a cool tone. But they they they'll change everything, and they're kind of they're kind of cheesy. Okay. Um, you know, like whenever like oh yeah, uh, when you want to film in Mexico, like. You just throw on the sepia filter. You know what that reminds me of is, uh, in, there's a scene in Tombstone where they're they're at a play, like in the in the town, and uh, it's like the devil comes on on onto the stage, and they put like a bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In front, exactly of, talking in about. front of the yeah. light to like change the, the 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 hue of the lighting and everything. It, it has like liquor in it or something. And kind of wave it around. That's what I think of. Obviously, it's a filter, but yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> What a great movie that is. <laughs> I like that movie. But yeah, and not only is it really easier um, depending on 
depending on power requirements that's the other thing it's like a lot of lights in a single room will overload a power grid so you have to be sure that you know what circuit you're on within a room um so if you are using something that has a lot of wattage um it might be easier to do it in post but the thing is it also doesn't look as good everything the more things you can pre-plan will look better in post yeah and and everything in this movie looks good like, yeah. yeah so it does. i would believe that it was all done like practically in film uh, i want to talk about the kind of the rivalry that builds up between neiman and Connolly, who is like the he's another drummer who is on like kind of the 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 beginner squad and uh fletcher brings him in to like do like uh i think it's either it's it's not whiplash it's caravan he gave him like the the charts for it early and that's just another way that Fletcher's just messing with Neiman. Yeah, I th- he brought like, him strictly to challenge him. Yeah. Kind of my, well, and I think it's yeah. the fact that he gave the charts to the other kid earlier. He gave him to Connolly earlier. And so he's like, so he's had time to look over and practice. And he's like, yeah, Neiman, we'll just let you hop on. You can figure it out. Yeah. It's just another way to like push him to be better. Like he's like, I think yeah, just everything that his character does is just, a, it's messing with Neiman, but it's all for a purpose. It has yeah. some kind of like, end goal in mind so that was like uh when i brought out the false sense of favoritism earlier when he brings him in i felt like that maybe fletcher was starting to understand that neiman was feeling that way towards him like hey i'm kind of you know i'm the fucking star of the show and shit and so fletcher brings in competition to show him like hey dude no one fucking gets this for free like you gotta bust your ass yeah i I totally agree with that and and that's alluded to later in the movie where he he talks about fletcher talks about Connolly, and he's like he was only ever like to make yep. you better. He's like, never took Connolly seriously as like a drummer for the studio band. Yeah. And yeah, I, I totally get that. that. That makes sense. It would be like, yeah, maybe you're getting a little too comfortable. Like, yep. Let's make you really earn it, you know? But like, he never really intended to supplant him or whatever. No. Dude's a stooge. Yeah. And it is really, it really is uncomfortable thinking about the implications of that, that all of them are, the, the entire studio band is are just pawns until one of them separates himself. And Ooh, that's that's great, Calvin. Yeah, and really why the I say that is because the only time he shows emotion was when he finds out that Sean Casey is done has died. And I and I mean real emotion, not yeah. like I'm just gonna be angry for the sake of being angry. I thought that was maybe fake. No well, because you No. It was very, very real because when you go back and and he tells the story of uh, of how he handpicked him out of the, uh, you know, same thing with Neiman. And uh, he was a squeaker that got in. And um, he, uh, um, I don't remember his time at Schaefer, but then he goes on to be uh, chosen by the Lincoln Center. And he's first chair yeah. in the Lincoln Center. He is his Charlie Parker. Well, yeah, but then he says that he died in a car accident in that scene and you find out later that he actually had he had killed himself yep and so i guess the emotion i'm, I'm sure was was true but i i thought it was interesting he, he changes the story that way he doesn't sound like a total yeah. prick this yeah morning. he I knows guess, i guess fake wasn't the right word it just i i i thought it was interesting that he maybe like a little staged he's like let me omit this part of yeah. it you know and, yeah a little bit revisionist but it's also prophetic you know oh, i drive yeah. i drive people to kill themselves and by saying uh he got in a car accident it's not his fault no 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 yeah. it's that's why uh neiman got in a car accident he drove yeah. Neiman to get into a to car, car accident yeah. as well. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. It's like, it's not really my fault. You know, he just 
happened to yeah he just happened to have i guess him. yeah fake fake was the wrong word uh but yeah i, I definitely thought it was interesting because yeah you, you find out later that the Connolly didn't die in a car accident he he was casey sean casey oh Connolly, yeah Connolly's drummer sorry yeah uh, yeah sean but, yeah. casey had yeah he didn't die that way and he leaves that out conveniently to mm-hmm. i think help his character out a lot yeah but so he just brings in Connolly for no other reason as psychological to- torture for neiman yeah it's it's this is so much sabotage yeah. for what seems like would be the ultimate goal of a teacher yeah but that's not his he's, goal but he's not a. I don't think he's, he's a teacher. not a teacher yeah, yeah. he's like a motivator like that's yeah. he doesn't teach them yep. shit. and yeah. it goes back to uh how we're subverting the notion of the old man archetype this old um you know here i am as a as a mentor with wisdom to here to help you i'm really just posing as that um really he's really more of a of a trickster archetype i'm really in it for myself for something something grander and greater yeah. that you he's trying to be seem. joe jonas i believe is the conductor that he's trying to em- emulate or whatever he's the one mm-hmm. who threw the symbol at uh the other guy's head yeah, Charlie Parker. yeah yep yeah and then we move on because uh, now he's neiman's like extra motivated now now he's like okay uh, he keeps being told he needs to earn the part and that's when you get to where he breaks up with uh, Nicole. Self-sabotage. And, and I, I I, was watching the scene, and, and I had seen the movie a while ago, but, you know, I was re-watching it again, you know, before we did this. And before the scene came on, and, I mean, while he's, like, explaining why he needs to break up with her, because, like, he's like, well, I'm going to want to drum more, and you'll start to resent me. And then I'll start to resent you because you're mad at me for, like, not spending more time with you. And that'll cause us to, like, hate each other, and then we'll break up. And he's like, I'd rather just have a clean break. And during his whole dialogue, I I didn't remember that she said this, but I was thinking in my head, I was like, well, how does he know that? Like, how how can he how can yeah. he just decide that already? And sure enough, like that's the next line out of her mouth. <laughs> she's like, you know that, like you know that for a fact. And he's like, yes, I do. Like he's just very matter of fact. He's so laser focused. And I think it kind of goes back to where he the he has the family dinner, and the one dad asks him if he's like, oh, you don't have many friends, do you? He's like, I didn't see the point in it. Like, he, yeah. If, it, if if something is not going to help him become a better drummer, he doesn't care. And I think that's why he, he cares about Fletcher caring about him mm-hmm. because that's the character who's going to help him be a better drummer. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, we keep talking about how this is an insanely abusive relationship, but he uh, he like knows like this is how I become better at what I'm doing by kind of uh, attaching myself to this person. Yeah. yeah. There's almost a bit of a enabling on Neiman's care on uh Neiman's part, you know. Yeah. I'll I'll let you treat me like this because it, and it's really because of his his status as uh and his power. Like if, you know, his opinion means a lot. So, I will allow him to treat me like this so that I can get what I want. Yeah, for sure. Until he doesn't get what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then we get to, I think, another great scene where he's, he's, it's a little, another practicing montage, and he's, like, going really hard, and he starts to get, like, blisters all over his hands, and he's bleeding, he's all bandaged up, and uh, he's got, like, the ice water and, like, a pitcher. Yeah, he puts it in the seat. And I thought it was cool, like, uh, it reminded me of, like, something you see in, like, a boxing movie or something, like, you're you're in this, like, tough training yeah, montage. Like, the fighter. Like, like, you're the hero about to, like, take on this battle, because he's about to get ready for, like, his first, like, kind of competition. He's practicing really hard, and... And he's like got a fist, and he he like dunks in the water, and he has like the blood bleeds into and everything. And it, I thought it was cool because, again, this is a movie about fucking jazz. Uh, but it was a really cool scene that like I <laughs> I thought would be in like it, it seems like a movie with like a boxer, with yeah, him, or like a fighter is in this, and he is fighting, like he is trying to do everything he can to be great. And 
it's just interesting to see like kind of i guess the same sort of visual cues i would expect to see out of like a, a warrior about like someone about to like train for a, a tough situation they're in and mm-hmm. but it, he's on a like a drum kit yeah and i think yeah. it's a really cool scene where he's like dunking my hand in the ice you know because i got to get back at it and yeah. it's like He's got to really push his body to the limit, which he is there. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. ripping his skin off playing drums. And and I, I I don't know how many people know this, but like, so Miles Teller is like a drummer. Yeah, he's been playing since he was fifteen. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he practiced like four hours a day, like three times a week. Had like a a teacher come in, and uh, it's something like forty percent of the recorded drums in the movie is Miles Teller, which yeah. is amazing because it's really good. And and I it's just like a. You talk about like character actors and stuff, who people like become these, these, these characters that they're trying to embody and everything. And like, you know, it, if you can sound like a legit like studio jazz drummer, like that's amazing. Yeah. Like you, you have a lot of talent and a lot of range as an actor. I think if you can also just pull off like this performance, like he did. Like, yeah. Miles Teller is great in this, and like, it, it, him and J.K. Simmons like absolutely make this movie worth watching. Like, it, yeah, it is. Their yeah. their portrays of the characters are fucking fantastic. So we talked about Sean Casey and J.K. Simmons has like that emotional scene about you know he's he's died and he's talking about how he's a great player and he Calvin brought up you know he's like a squeaker he barely got in and you know he goes on to become this great player and that's kind of you kind of get the sense like that's what he wants out of all of his not all of his students but he's hoping to get like that student that is able to be great you know yeah. and uh, after that is when they go to their like first is it their first competition. Yeah, well, it's so. the only competition. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. And and J.K. Simmons has this great scene. He's like, yeah, so he's like, give yourself like two hours ahead because it's out of, out of the city. He's like, save your travel receipts or don't. I don't fucking care. Yeah. It's just like his character is amazing. He has, he has such great lines in this movie. Uh, and the bus breaks down that Miles Teller's on, that Neiman is on. And so he's trying to figure out how to get to this thing on time, and he rents a car. This is like the big dramatic, and that may not the big dramatic scene, but it's dramatic because he he forgets his drumsticks at the uh, at the the rental car place. Yeah, and, he's... and he shows up and he's super late. And I think this is the first scene where he's like really gets into it with Fletcher, because they're like yelling at each other, and he's yeah, like he's, he's like you don't fucking get to play or whatever. Yeah, because yeah. he's like he's like Connolly's going on, Connolly's here, yeah. and he's like uh, you don't even have your own sticks. And he's like it's my fucking part, like I yeah, earned it. That's and he's my like, fucking kit. Yeah, I love it. He's like it's my part, and he's like. Fletcher's like it's my part and I decide who I loan it to (laughs) it's just like yeah yeah but it's also funny um and I think why why it's so why the tension builds the way it does is uh Neiman says uh well he says it's my part I get to lend it out whenever I want and he says no I earned that part and like well I can give it to whoever I want whenever I want and like if and he says if you would you would have already you would have already kicked me out yeah. I've already I've already fucked up enough as far as what it would seem like the way you treat everybody else I've already transgressed beyond redemption I'm here because I'm talented and you know that and I know that and that's where the favoritism yeah I was just yeah. gonna say like, yep. Jane brought that up I yeah. think it's a great point like yeah, yeah. it and is it, like he and cause Fletcher's like, trying to show him that there is no favoritism even yeah. though like I do believe that there is yeah because he obviously brought in the guy to compete with him that make him better yeah yeah no i i totally agree with you it's 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 all just like yeah it's all just big big brain plays right there he's just mm-hmm. scheming to like push neiman to be better uh and so neiman gets back in his car goes back to the rental place gets his sticks driving out and it's like what calvin talked about earlier where it's like foreshadowing about how uh uh casey. sean casey got in the car accident because he was like so into music and everything and he's like 
the same thing happens to Neiman. He's like just so driven to like get to this concert and like do this this thing on time and be the 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 you know the first chair drummer and he gets in a car accident and then it's crazy and he gets up and like runs the rest of the way which is yeah, just it's wild yeah the car flipped he got hit he was driver's driver's side he was yeah. fucked up yeah well and i think he should have been way way more fucked up than he was his hand was a little bit fractured he had scratch on his head yeah like I, but i mean dude he like shouldn't have been in a full body cast yeah. like there's no way he should have been able to get up and i mean adrenaline yeah, but it makes for like, it makes for a really bad scene if he gets into an ambulance and goes to the hospital. Yeah. It's a way better scene. Just later ends on the movie right there. If he gets to the concert and he he messes up so bad and he gets kicked out of the band, he gets kicked out of the he school. He can't hold the sticks because his hands are yeah. so bloody. He gets yeah. a letter later yeah. on where he's been dismissed and like he so he's done. Like he's done at the school. Yeah, and I do. He, I do. Like I can suspend my disbelief mm-hmm. because it functions so well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it would be boring if it was like, all right, he's he's done, and then we get to. Uh, the part where the lawyer shows up because they want to do like a, a like a lawsuit against yeah, Fletcher. He's starting he's... to get his revenge here. He's very salty towards him for kicking him out, yeah. out of the thing. And that's where you find out that Sean Casey didn't die in a car accident. He died. He, he had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's because he was so emotionally abused by Fletcher the whole time. And I like that scene a lot because the whole time uh, Neiman like doesn't want to like he doesn't want to go against. He doesn't yeah. like want revenge at first. He's like he he's like don't make me do this. He he says things like that and like that is so the mind of like someone who has been abused. Like yeah. They are not you can see it from the outside and and obviously like that's our I think our perspective watching this movie is you see this relationship from the outside and you know it's no good. Like Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like they know like we know it's bad. They probably know it's bad, but they don't know how to get out of it, you know. Yeah. Well, and sometimes they just they just don't know. You know, you you just don't know that something is as bad as it is until you're out of it and then you start looking like once that once that daily interaction isn't there then you're like oh what wh- how did i ever not see this it's this right. it's really disorienting and um yeah i think he i think he started to get to that point he still like understood the role that fletcher was playing in his life and what he was doing um he also feels that he was kind of using Fletcher's influence as an avenue or um, as a means to his own end, but it's also, he didn't realize how how badly it was really affecting him. Yeah. Well, because then even at the the end of that scene, he's like, just tell me what to say. Because like it seems like he's still not into it at that point, but he's like, I'm going to go through with it. Like you said, like trying to kind of get his, his revenge, his one over yeah. on, on Fletcher, but he doesn't even still like really commit to it, I don't think, because he's like, just tell me what to say and I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. And that's when... Uh, Jane mentioned in his kind of recap of the movie. So when we get to like the, the the scene where Neiman shows up to like the jazz bar, or he shows up to a bar. There's like live jazz music. Yeah. And uh, Fletcher's playing at it. He's playing piano. J.K. Simmons really played piano for that. I guess he had played piano before, and then uh, he took some more lessons to actually be able to do that part, which makes sense because it's a really slow mute, like yeah, slow song. Not. So it's probably not like too tough to figure out, especially if you've already played before. But I thought that's cool. It's like there's a lot of like practical use of just having the actor. Like, it's not like it, it's not like the camera's on J.K. Simmons and then it, there's like a cut to his hands. The the camera's on J.K. Simmons. It it pans down to his hands and then it goes back up to him. And so he's also shrouded yeah, in shadow. Yeah. yeah. It's I love that like him, the the light is on his hands, but his face is shrouded in shadow. You know, kind of like a fallen angel. 
Dude, Calvin is so good at making... I just finds these things, man. He's so good at making a movie sound so much better than I can. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a good take. You know, like, the, the other thing is, too, is, like, some like some, some of the more religious um, connotations with it might be from my own perspective, but it's also just... It is a lot of film history like we were talking about, so it's easy to make those assumptions because a lot of people, you know, it's, you know, standing on the shoulders of, of giants. You know, we all learn from the greats. We all take away parts of um, of what they took away and that's just it's a sequential type of thing how things slowly change so that's just what how i see it lighting on on um uh, fletcher is is a big deal and you know it really goes back to that first scene too where he emerges out of the shadow you kind of wonder is is he good or is he bad type thing well, yeah, and I think you kind of get that sense throughout the movie. It's like mm-hmm. he seems bad, but I think his intention is good. He's yeah, just... but just from the lighting is yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. <clears throat> I think you can draw a lot of correlation between that for sure. So then uh, he gets asked to play in like that jazz festival that uh, Fletcher has like a band going. He's like, ah, the drummer's not really cutting it. He's like, if you want to get in on it, you can. And I like this part. Uh, it goes to Neiman. He's like in his apartment, and he's got his drum kit like put away in a closet. And he just opens the door. You don't see him, like, set it up. You don't see him start practicing or anything like that. Uh, but then he calls Nicole again to be like, hey, I've got this, like, gig I'm doing. And there's no, like, big drumming, like, him training montage. But if you look, when he's on the phone, his fingers and hands are all covered in Band-Aids again. And so it's like, mm-hmm. I thought it was a cool way to show, like, without showing him drumming again. Without like, telling. They're showing. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't need to see him drum again i know he can drum mm-hmm. and so i don't need to see him practice again to like get up to like kind of the level he was at before but his, his hands are covered in band-aids again and it was just a cool way to like progress like like show that he had been working on it without like showing me he had been working on it i thought that was a cool scene yeah, yeah. Cool. and also if you pay attention to when he asks nicole out and when he calls her again you'll notice that they follow immediately after events where Fletcher gave him a, a pseudo amount of approval. So the first so he time... feels good enough to reach out. So it's what it, what it is then is it's the shadow self, the uh, Fletcher, giving approval to the, uh, to the self being... Um, Neiman. Being Neiman in this case. You know, like, oh, I've finally... It's this, it's this psych- psychic equilibrium of of um confidence coming from the other person and that's what's so interesting is it's always it's always directly after um fletcher gives his approval and why that why that's so important well yeah it shows like it shows how much he values fletcher's opinion is like when when he gets his own identity yeah he's like well now i'm confident again and so it's like yeah their their characters are just so like like Neiman is absolutely wrapped up in whatever Fletcher tells him. I mean, he gave like, up. Yeah. He put his drums away. He gave up on it basically until he said, "Hey, I want you to do this again." And yeah, it's like I can be myself once he, again. He talks about how that symbol got thrown at the other drummer, and yeah. he was like, "Well, what would have happened if you know?" He just was like, "Oh, you you did pretty good." Like, yeah. and then he's gonna go on to be like, "Okay, yeah, I did I did do pretty good." And then he never becomes this. Oh, uh, he's like a. He's not a drummer. He's a. Sec, uh, I want to say trumpet player, right? Yeah, sax so. or trumpet, yeah. yeah. But then he goes on and does this great solo. And it's because he was pushed to that point. Like, you know, he might have cried himself to sleep that night because he got a cymbal thrown at his head. But now he's, like, motivated to be better. And Neiman's like, well, what if, like, getting a cymbal thrown at you discourages you? And then you don't get to 
see that like amazing musician afterwards. He's like, well, a great musician would never be discouraged. Like that wouldn't stop them. And so that's when he like pulls a drum set back out and he's like, you know, what? I'm you know, I'm not going to be discouraged. Like, you know, he's going to keep going. And well, he's, yeah, I think that I think it actually does invalidate his idea that the, well, Charlie Parker, a real Charlie Parker wouldn't have ever quit. It, and Neiman did quit. The only reason that this is even happening again is because he's given another opportunity, not because he's practicing for practicing sake. Uh, I think, I think it really shows you that his entire Fletcher's entire idea of how you make great musicians is warped. It is the reason that he got fired. It was justified because here you are, you have discouraged someone. That's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah, I still feel like. It was supposed to be like kind of I don't know I guess like it's redemption to be like oh you know I'm gonna start playing again I'm gonna come back and I'm I'm not gonna be discouraged that's what I took from it but but Calvin's got the the big brain I'm just a smooth brain over here <laughs> <laughs> and so then we uh, they're about to play their their big show and everything and Fletcher talks about how he's like one call from these guys who are in the audience will like make or break your career he's like if you go out there and like show out he's like you could be first chair in the Lincoln Center yeah. or you could be a part of you know a you know some other band that i don't know about because i don't know jazz music <laughs> but uh or you can not play drums again yeah. yeah or he's like or he's like this will ruin your career yeah. yeah he was like the one thing about these cats is they never forget he, say, he says these cats yeah <laughs> <laughs> to make it seem cool to make it seem chill and casual like he isn't setting him up constantly for absolute failure yeah because yeah. he he's he acts way different to neiman after uh, they meet at like the bar and stuff, and like yeah, it's like a, it's again, it's it's showing just how depraved he is as a manipulator and as an abuser. Like, I you know I'm gonna be you know there's there's nothing left to earn anymore. There's nothing else that I can do, right? You know, mm-hmm. so I may as well just be real. We'll talk. We'll be we'll be people. And uh, it's all it, bullshit. It was all pretense. Yeah. It was oh, all yeah. to to bring up a this is a scene further back their first audition. Or not audition their first like uh, competition and uh, Neiman sees Fletcher talking to like a like maybe an old student and he has a daughter and he's like talking to the little girl and he's like oh you you play you play instruments she's like oh he started piano like last week and he's like are you gonna play piano for my band he's like I'll save a spot for you and he like gives him a hug and you know fist bumps the girl or whatever and and then he immediately goes into the room with his band. And he's like, "What's up, cocksuckers?" <laughs> he's like, it, "It is. It's like his whole game is like just how can he." How can he manipulate these students to get like what he wants out of them? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that I think it speaks like your comment earlier. It's like you know he 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 can put on this like front whenever he wants, but it's also that front to get what he wants. He wants more people in his band so that he has more opportunities yeah. to produce that that person. Like it's just it's just persona. It's all persona. It's really hard actually to say anything concrete about himself uh, from a psychic from a psychological standpoint. The only thing that we can really say within the context of the film is that he reflects Neiman's shadow self. And that, and that's it. Like we don't really know what he is or who he is, and like what is even the purpose of creating a Charlie Parker? Like why can't like, are you not good enough to be a Charlie Parker? Like that's the other thing that's kind of interesting is it's not about his ability to play; it's about his ability to make someone else great. And why is is a question that we never get answered. Yeah. No, I wonder if he's got like. Maybe he's like not good at playing instruments. Yeah. That's what I think. <laughs> or it's entirely a god complex. Like literally, you know, it's oh, I want to make the next Charlie Parker. Or is it, I just want the power. I just want the reverence. Yeah. I yeah. want 
you know, to wonder, be venerated. Yeah, I wonder if he wants to, like, live vicariously through these, like, super great musicians that he, like, quote-unquote made, you know. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, so they get on stage, and that's when Neiman finds out that he does not have the right music for what they've been practicing. No, so then he leaves. And, uh, well, cause, he plays the first whole song. Yeah, he does, because they, they are, uh, well, at first it's their music that he knows. No. No, no, no it's, it's not. It starts no. out of a song he doesn't okay. know. Okay, yeah. Because the, right. the, the bass player's behind him, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? doing? Like, okay, he's yeah, so yeah. mad. Because like, <laughs> he's like, you little fucker, you think, he's like, you think I'd let you do this or whatever. Yeah, or, he's yeah. like, I know it was you. Yeah. Like, referring to him, you know, kind of ratting him out, making him lose his job, you know, like yeah. the whole lawsuit thing. He's like, I know it was you. He's like, do you think I'm fucking stupid? Like, yeah. yeah. And another connection between the two, I know it was you. I know how this relationship is going to yeah, end. Say, this self-sabotage. This is also just uh, more of like the power struggle that's been going on is just showing that J.K. Simmons' character just has complete power over Neiman. Yeah, that – well, more what I was saying is um, how they're reflected in each other. So when he breaks up with Nicole, I know how this relationship is going to end. Oh, okay. And despite what he thinks he wants and what he knows, he's – he's already made up his mind about how something is going to happen. And the same thing with Fletcher. Like what, what is his real aim here? Like here is uh, a whole band that's basically going to be discounted because they don't have a rhythm section. Everyone's just gonna be focused on like, well, that's fucking weird. And what is his role then? Like he's not a conductor. He's not a teacher. He's not a promoter. He's just looking out for like to have control over people. What, his whole motivation is so strange, and I think that's what's so great about it is because that's how it's, it's just how people are sometimes. It doesn't need to be explained because they're just fucked up. It's just fucking weird, yeah. and that is that that part that really never gets told or explained doesn't need to, and it functions so well that way. Calvin just said "fuck" twice in one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <coughs> he threw a chair. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Um, I think about uh, so th- after he finds out that he has the wrong music, there's like a, a zoom on Miles Teller, and you the look on his face, he's like, oh god, like yeah. oh no. And I I I try to notice like when filming techniques change in a movie, like I think Colin was mentioning that the editing is kind of more rhythmic in this movie, and it's like it, it, when it cuts to like different different people in a scene, and when it like the camera will swap to someone else based on like who's speaking dialogue, who's playing an instrument or whatever. And there's not like any zooms in the movie, but that one time there's a zoom in on him. And yeah. so like, I, I like noticing those things. Like it, it uh, kind of changes the way the film is viewed, obviously. Cause like the filming technique changed, but uh, it gives you a different, like, like he's coming to this realization that he's screwed and the camera work helps you also realize that. Yeah. 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 This, uh, I've been wanting to, to talk about the final scene for which, a long time. Which we're at. We're, yeah, we're, we're at, so there. Finally, so, yes. So at the climax. And it is so, so important to the entirety of the film because you're, you have more of that rhythmic editing. You have, uh, as they're playing, you get certain shots of um, like the uh, the woodwinds in a row from above. So you have these three people in a row. And then you have the piano keys match on action there. You the same look of... Um, things from above they're just pieces you have the crash of the symbols the the sweat on them and going back like mouths on reeds mouths on on um 
I forget what the the pieces for brass instruments are. Well, and this is so so Neiman messes up the first song and he's gonna leave. Mm-hmm. He you know walks out. He is defeated or whatever. Hugs his dad because his dad realizes what's going on. You know, like this is essentially his career, his dream going up in smoke right now. And then he, you know Neiman turns around. He goes back to the kit and he just starts playing. This is where he gains power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the 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 catalyst for it. Um, when he takes off his coat yeah i thought i saw just that. Yeah. like how um fletcher took off his coat in the first scene showed off his arms yeah. and, and took off <laughs> yep exactly and it, and it really is that like like i don't have anything to prove anymore i'm the one in control i don't i can take off all pretense of um of this persona of this uh of who i am and i can just you know be who i want to be because i'm in control i'm in power um I think you get a good sense of that too, because Fletcher comes over while he's he just starts playing, yeah, and he's, he's like, like what, "What the, what the fuck are you doing?" doing? Like, yeah, he's like, the, like, it's almost like he's like embarrassed for him. He's like, "What?" A, like, he's like, "I know I got you really good." Yeah, but like now you're digging like a deeper hole. He's like, "What are you doing?" Like, yeah. Well, it's, then it's you the see first break, and you see his attitude change throughout the scene, mm-hmm. just in his face. Like this is, I think, like J.K. Simmons' best acting in the whole film is during the final scene, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's not based on dialogue or anything like that. It's just based on body language well do you see him when uh when neiman's like playing badly in the when it starts and he's like messing up yeah mm-hmm. and he's like bobbing his head like yeah fletcher's like if fletcher's into it he's like oh yeah like i got him like i know this sounds like garbage but like i got my win or whatever and he's yep. like into the fact that like he's messing up yep. and then it totally changes like when neiman starts playing it starts to go well and he's like, oh, this is, like, serious, yeah. Yep, and you'll notice, too, when he first turns around after announcing, uh, what is it, Uptown Swing? I can't remember what the song was. But he announces it, and he turns back and looks at Neiman, and his, he- his um, you know, uh, his... He's, like, backlit. Profile, yeah, he's yeah. all backlit. It's around his head, just like another saintly icon. You know, here I, I'm in control. I'm the one with all of the power. I'm God. And... That changes um, as the set goes on. You'll notice that the the light dims down, and then um, as uh, Neiman's decided to start playing, the light comes up on him. You know, signifying that the the power balance has shifted. So now the light on the drums shows that I'm the one with the power. I'm the one who's being looked at right now. And there's a really great scene where I mean, obviously the solo goes on forever but and when he's awesome. finally yeah i mean it's great and when when uh fletcher just has finally given in like i'm just gonna go along with this i finally like oh i have my charlie parker um he gets up to conduct and he's center frame and the light is no longer backlit on fletcher anymore now it's coming from frame right right where the drums would be now the light is shining on him and that's just uh, it's just it's such a great it's a great visual way to express that things have changed. We understand that we we take them in subconsciously and paying attention to them consciously makes it, it makes it that much better. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think we're we're analyzing this movie, and I think we like diving deep and figuring out what's going on. But besides that, the music at the end is amazing. It is. It's great. It is mm. like it is just it is a genuinely just cool thing to see and to hear. And the way it like cuts between all the instruments, like like Count had mentioned, and it's it's just genuinely good. And and 
I hate to admit this, but like I, I like bought the vinyl soundtrack to this movie. And you hate jazz. And I don't like this. Like I but I, I was just so into the sound of this movie. I was like, oh man, this is it's so good. And I I if this movie did anything, it gave me a huge appreciation for jazz. At least like studio jazz. But it's just like it's just if you just are a, a person who likes music, this is such a great movie to watch. It's so it's so well done. It's so good. Like it's, I think we kind of glossed over that. Yeah, it's it like is very good. This is a movie about jazz musicians, and the the music is excellent in this movie. Yeah, it is. It's funny because there were actually a few critics that uh, the thing they criticized about the film is that it it gave poor uh, a poor representation of the history of jazz. I saw I saw the criticisms I saw were people who were jazz musicians who were students at like prestigious schools and they were mm-hmm. like this is not a good representation they were like my teachers were nothing like this yeah and so, well, it's and a it's fucking like, story and, so. and i was like it's a, also a movie yeah this is not like your biography like i get it like i don't think every jazz school has a teacher like you know mm-hmm. jk simmons in it but it almost it's a, it, it's a story like come on like there yeah. were a lot of people who were critical of that and i was like yeah. it's just uh, this movie is a snoozer if you just have like the supportive teacher throughout it like this is <laughs> this is a movie i would hate to watch yeah. if it's just like if it, dude, if, you're doing great dude yeah if it's you're any, not a cocksucker yeah <laughs> i don't even know why i used that word <laughs> this movie is is in, instantly less interesting if if uh like fletcher's character is not set up and doesn't act the way he does you know you know it, i think it's easy to say that because we don't you know, we only know what what they put on screen. We don't know what would have been otherwise. I think there's a genuinely interesting way to tell amazing stories um, about inner tor- turmoil without, you know, narcissism and uh, as a plot device. Um, I think it's really great because it's it, because it's one of the few that's like it's one of the few on screen depictions of narcissism in an everyday situation that's just done right like this is a real person that's absolutely a real person i i could i could see someone someone doing that um but yeah so i don't know i, I think we i, I think, think we if, like if this movie has no cocksucker references in it it sucks <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just uh, he's just funny because so... it's like if it doesn't have the cocksucker yeah, three yeah, cocksuckers out of ten he's just oh dude that's our <laughs> that's our new rating system dude <laughs> I just, it just, he just makes the movie so much more interesting. And I get what you're saying. Yeah. There's a way to, and that would be an entirely different movie. Yeah. I mean, you could, sure, I'm sure you could tell the story a different way. But the way it's told in this one is, is great. It's It's fantastic. fantastic. And I do think, though, like, yeah, I mean, it was so fantastic. We said that spontaneously (laughs) together. You guys, but spontaneous synchronization. Yeah. But I think that's just like, that's the biggest thing about, specific actors what they can bring to a role extends beyond what's on the script i think you could have made any type of character with jk simmons in that role and as long as it's a realistic type person they could have had an entire range of emotions and personalities and it would have been the film would have been just as fantastic but this is just a really a a really different uh type of film that you don't see all that often yeah he's he's just brutal and it's just amazing. It's awesome. I mean, yeah. So, so, and you know, speaking too about color palette, this was the thing that I that I wanted to talk about when we were comparing the studio band and the end scene with all the rest of the film. I actually feel like it's two different films. 
the way that it's that it's constructed. You're talking about different color palettes, different um, different rhythms for editing, um, different types of dialogue um, outside of the the practice scenes. It's it's completely different. Like, and it wouldn't surprise me. Like, I, I know it's not the case, but it, it would surprise it wouldn't surprise me if you had two different directors directing um, the the music scenes, and that would be interesting. Like, yeah, are there? No. Do you have examples of? Is there movies that are done that way? Like, I mean, you'd probably have to go to TV. You know, TV oh, has as as um. I guess so. Yeah. General ones. Well, because like the, I know like what the Russo brothers did, Avengers and stuff. Yeah. But those feel like very cohesive it doesn't feel like one of them was directing one thing and no yeah a different one is directing they, the other they do it seems like together, a, yeah. So, yeah. yeah but i yeah. would be interested to see a movie where it's like could two people like kind of connect a story together i think that'd be really neat that, to see that is cool. yeah and and part of the reason why you probably don't see that um is is the vehicle of um you know di- direct direct uh or a tour theory um if we throw a name at it oh it's james cameron's avatar it holds a, a different type of of weight um, as far as marketing um, than it does just Avatar. Like, well, that would be too much for like Hollywood to pull. I off. don't think I like any of James Cameron's movies. <laughs> but yeah, the Titanic like, sucks. But yeah, that's why you have <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's. Like, I mean, yeah, it's not like it's it's a fine story. It's it's James Cameron, of course. It's, yeah. For a long time, I didn't like Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio because. James Cameron's characters are so flat. <laughs> it's just there's nothing there. All right, let's get back on track. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think Calvin had some really thought-provoking questions on the ending. Yeah, I do well, have one thing to mention oh, yeah, real yeah. quick. Um, so during a solo, uh, J.K. Simmons' character uh, refers to Andrew Neiman by Andrew for the first time, and he's like, "He's like, Andrew, what are you doing?" Right, right, right. And yeah. he seems not only surprised by what Andrew's doing, but like almost that he's surprised that he called him Andrew himself, that he had earned, that Andrew had earned his respect in that moment. It's almost like it's the first time, like, Neiman's a person yes. in the movie. He's yeah. not a cocksucker. He's yeah. a human. It's the yeah. first time, too, that Fletcher is a human. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yes. And I feel like he's also surprised by that moment within himself as well. They're both, like, like Neiman is, like, validated as, like, I am a good drummer now yes yeah i'm the one i'm cueing you in i'm conducting i love that i love that he says that uh yeah he like says that to the bass player he's like caravan i'll cue you in yeah like it's like yeah it's like he's running the show he's got it yeah yeah Mm -hmm. which we were talking about like the kind of change in power dynamic there like yeah i love those i I love the it's not a big bit of dialogue or anything but it's it's i think the less dialogue is what makes the scene so powerful oh and i have one more thing sorry calvin i really want to get to your question oh yeah you're fine so so we get to the the end and they're about to he's about to cue the band back in after neiman's done his solo which is awesome and they share a look like it's just neiman and fletcher looking at each other and like it's like they they finally arrived at that point together where they're like you know it's like he recognizes that he's a good drummer and and neiman recognizes that fletcher like pushed him to that point and i love that it just it cues the band back in and then it just cuts to credits there's no like i love that there's not like a big applause scene and it's like it doesn't have everyone jumping up like hooray like you did it it's like all you need is like that look from them because the the movie is really to me is is about their relationship Mm -hmm. and how they are with each other and all he needs is, like, that validation from Fletcher. And, like, Neiman just needs to feel like he's doing good. And, and Fletcher needed to have a good musician. And all you needed was that. You didn't need, you know, a, 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 a roaring applause after they finished their, their musical piece. 
And I love that the movie ended there and not with, you know, yeah. some over the top like kind of thing. Well, I mean the mo- the ending is like really I don't want to say over the top, but it's an amazing ending. It's the yeah. best ending I I think I've ever seen to a movie. It's my yeah. favorite thing. Like yeah. I'm like I got this sounds like lame, but I was like, I got like chills. Like, I got I feel chills like right down, now, just yeah, like keep I like, thinking about it. I like it. feel yeah. it on my back, and I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, it's so good. It yeah. Good. And so yeah. now we'll get to Calvin's. Well, no, I do. I do want to add on top of that. Oh, yeah. Like, go like, for it. What's What's so great about it is like that's you realize that that that's the point. Um, he when he first gets laughed off stage, basically, um, you know, also pointing back to that earlier doc dialogue about uh, you don't want to be like what's his face. Um, uh, so pathetic of those passing girls at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, he gets a hug from his dad. He gets love, support, validation, but he isn't seen. He's not seen for what he is truly passionate about. And I think that's a big, it's such a big metaphysical um, question about like human experience. Like we're all screaming at the void that you know we want to be heard and no one really understands us and we're all just talking because no one's listening and that shot with the eyes is i see you're a piece of shit asshole that's driven me to this i see what you are and what you've done and him looking back i see you you're my charlie parker you are you know, everything that I've been trying to do and that, that kind of validation, that understanding of who they are and that frame too, is it's just their eyes. There's no, you don't see their mouths. You kind of see the edges of their, um, of their mouths, but, but the focused. whole, yeah, yeah, the whole point is the eyes. It's that connection, like fine, because that's, and that's why it cuts there. It's not about the music. It's about being seen and being heard. And yeah, it's just, it's weird. It's fucked up, but um, because that's the, you know, it's not really the way that it, it, it needs to, it necessarily needs to be, but they both ended up getting what they wanted at the end. And I think that's, uh, I think that's part of, yeah, movies are not good if, like, you can't relate to them in any way. Like, that's my opinion. I disagree, it, but yeah, I, I, I would say that most people. Maybe not, for, not good. It, they, they do make, they do, they, they have a special place. Like, like Avatar did that for me. Um, I don't Dude, feel we'll not that. stop talking about <laughs> yeah. Avatar. Yeah, I mean, like, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, I can't, I can't, like, disavow it. It's not, I can't, like, that's, it's a part of my story now. Yeah. I can't, it's all about how we rewrite the perspective yeah, yeah. of what happened to us. And, um. I just have to take it with a grain of salt that I was a stupid kid at some point. <laughs> no, you're good. No, but I I guess, okay, I, I think you can have good movies without being relatable. But yeah. I think it helps a lot. And yeah. I think it's it makes a, the movie more enjoyable. Like, there are definitely times in my life where, so like I said, like I, I was in the Navy, and I try to explain stuff to, like, to like my family. And I remember, like, Jade, and I'd, I'd, like, talk to you about, like, this is what I'm doing. And it's hard because it's something that like no one else is going through, but like what I was going through and it's, it's a completely kind of different like world to be in. And there were some times where I was like, man, like people don't get what I'm doing. Like, I think it's cool. Or like, I think I'm doing, and I think it's true for everyone. You know, you don't have to like be in some kind of special job for that. But there's sometimes where it's like, you know, you might be doing really good at whatever you're doing. And like, people are not like catching that. Like you want to feel valid. You want to feel like you're doing well. And even though this is about jazz music and I'm not a jazz musician, I like relate to the Miles Teller character. Like I, I believe that, especially like the dinner scene he has, where like everyone's kind of talking over him. It's like there's sometimes where like I think I'm doing something like that is really impressive, mm-hmm. and like no one's like no giving one me the time it. of day yeah. or like no one understands like what I'm doing. 
and so it kind of gets glossed over and, and i think that helps this movie a lot because you don't need to be a you don't even need to be a musician you don't even need to know how to play a single note no. on anything and you can watch this movie and be like oh i i get like this character like yeah. wholeheartedly like i get him yeah and that's you know i see like so much of myself in um in terms of like the miss like nobody understood me um type type thinking not like the the obsessive like i'm just gonna be a complete ass to everyone about like um about why i went into film in the first place and why people people will ask me like you know do you oh yeah do you do you ever rate would you what would you do uh for school if you had gone if you had gone back or something to that effect I'm like oh yeah you don't you don't get it like i would absolutely make the same choice it's not about whether that degree was had any type of market value or whether it was really going to help my job prospects in the future, what it does to your perspective of your, of your understanding of other humans of the world in general makes you, it'll make you a better communicator, a better friend, a better boss, because once you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, you can see how best to help them and how best they can help you by empowering them. So that, that's what's so great about film is is it's all it's stories it's um emotional expression of human experience in the more varied ways that you see it the the weirder ways that it's that it's told the more you start to get a comprehensive i mean the more your ex- your perspective will be expanded and will make you that much better of a person. So when I sit here and say, "Oh yeah, the, the mise en scène," I actually don't think I've used that that term yet. That's nope. um, <laughs> mise en <laughs> mise en scène is everything within a frame. So everything within the frame uh, is is set for a specific reason. That's lighting. That's that's um, you know ca- uh, object placement, character placement. Um, the all everything within the frame, and so I use I I say that term like oh it's French it's, it's clearly pretentious, um, but there's so much of it that we you could have a better understanding of film you could have greater appreciation you can see more things that will make movie going that much more fun for you but to some people it just doesn't matter and you know, that's fine it's just like to be dismissive of someone else's like, like I could be here and like, Oh yeah. Marvel movies are trash. Like objectively. Yes. But uh, <laughs> uh, man, let's not, let's not get into that right now. But it's, it's, I'm being dismissive um, as a joke because I, I can clearly see the, the appeal of all of these things there. You know, a lot of it's just escapism. Um, if you want to look at it, very reduction from a reductionistic uh, perspective, um, I just want to see a story. I want, I want something fluff and I don't want to think about anything, but it's also how you see the, um, the archetype of heroes embodied in ourselves. It's, I think a wild conjecture would be to say that, um, you know, the Marvel tentpole is going to be our new mythic structure. It has, it has all of the template for being the next, um, <laughs> you know the next greek pantheon where was this the next during greek... our interview of you dude <laughs> dude, you, dude you had your time we're talking about whiplash now yeah but but we'll, we'll get we'll get there we'll get there but it's so important it's so important because that's the thing it's like all of that is is the human experience and putting that on film is 
is so important, whether or not it's um, commercially uh, viable or not, shouldn't be shouldn't be the thing. Um, right. But why people go to the movies is varied, and you need to understand why everyone goes to movies and why all types of art construction just say something different like if you're if you're just if you're not going to give something um like like Jaden, you were saying about like um uh under the skin like oh i'm not going to like this and then somehow you find yourself liking it at the end that open-mindedness is the whole point i yeah i agree with that i mean whiplash is another movie that i went into because they're not i'm a pretty call myself kind of stoogish when it comes to movies like when i want to watch them like i want to watch fucking cartoons or things blow up like that's typically my mantra <laughs> right but <laughs> always find myself like watching these deeper movies and somehow being connected and emotionally tied. Like, I mean, it's weird as it sounds. I watched whiplash, like for some reason, the whole time I was thinking of Connor, which is odd. Like, I don't know why. Maybe it's cause you drummed when we were kids, but immediately yeah. after I watched it, I was like, I, I hopped on the kid a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And yeah. like, I mean, I thought the same thing. Like, Oh, yeah, immediately after it was done, I texted him. I was like, dude, watch this fucking movie. It's like one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. And he texted me back. He's like, yeah, I love it. Like I've yeah. already seen it. And, I mean, it's it's cool that movies can bring us together and like have us show like. I mean, we all three have different different perspectives on this movie, but we all three agree that it's good. Yeah, and, and only one of us is right, though. Let's remember that. Uh, <laughs> it will always be me. <laughs> whoever whoever I think is the loudest in the podcast. That's gets to be typically right. me too. So, so. Jayden, let's look at the, let's look at the waveforms. <laughs> so I have kind of a cool question. Ooh. I want to know what you uh, guys think of. Um, is this movie a musical? No. Connor? I, I would say also no. Why? Uh, they don't sing. That's pretty dumb, but I don't care. That's that's my answer. <laughs> so I think I think when, when I think of musicals is, is the plot is somehow driven by what they're singing about or what they're playing music for, I guess. So I think like a... But isn't that like... Yeah, I was going to say. Well, no, because I, I think they could be playing any song. They're playing Whiplash or they're playing Caravan. It could be any song. Yeah. It just needs to be a jazz song. I That's think, fair. And, and and like I said, I think this... We, we kind of mentioned earlier, this movie could kind of be about anything as long as you have these characters interacting the way they are. And yeah. that's why I think it's not a musical, because you could do this movie without music. This could be a, about a mathematician and his angry teacher... Also, I think the name Whiplash is pretty clever oh, because so of uh, the movie and also the car accident. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at you, dude. Yeah. Big brain on Jaden. Yeah. Sometimes. I kind of... Wow. So, so, yeah, my answer would be my answer would be no because I don't... There's nothing inherently story-driving in the musical piece Whiplash or the musical piece Caravan or them practicing music. Like, that's not driving the narrative. I think what's driving the narrative is the character's the relationship between each other. Yeah. yeah. And so I would say it's not a musical for that reason. Yeah, it's 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 really more music as as a novelty. Um I was I was really hoping there would be more debate about this. Nope. But y'all <laughs> y'all seem to be have, have read up on <laughs> on your film history. I didn't even read up. I just that's how I feel. Yeah, that's the de- that's the yeah. definition. The definition of a as far as critical theory, a, a, mu- a musical is where the songs function as a part of the narrative, which is why. Um, oh my God, dude, Jane, we're 
Yeah, really I literally yeah. said it's because they don't sing. So if they were the sing, I probably would have been like, yeah, like yeah. So that's the thing. <laughs> so it's like like uh, Moulin Rouge and uh, Across the Universe. Yeah. Those are not. I think considered, I've seen both of those movies. Yeah, technically not considered musicals because what? the songs are just songs. Moulin they, Rouge has got the Ewan McGregor in it, right? That's. I actually haven't seen it. I just know that sure my professor despised it. It's like, yes, yeah, I fucking hate like, it too. I just know about this girl who watched it all the time. We're naturally good at critic like critiquing movies because we we caught we caught that that subtle bit this isn't a musical (laughs) but yeah yeah you're absolutely right like the the whole thing that this whole movie is um apparently like it's not a term that i've uh come across before but it's referred to as as a as a dual film um the same sort of thing with the with the lighthouse this um in dual as in d-u-e-l a fight between two people yeah um and yeah, you're absolutely right. This could this could absolutely be uh, about any other. This could be in any other setting as long as you have this character dynamic, like because that's the point. Like this is this is what makes it interesting. It's how it, it's it it what it's what draws you in. And yeah, you're right on, yeah, right that, on the nose. So like, this yeah, movie yeah. could be easily about like a wrestler and his coach. Like, and that's yep. I, that's why I relate to is because that's the relationship I had with my coach. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. it's and it's interesting too. Like when you were talking about the the blood and um. You know, blood is actually a motif we didn't talk too much about, but um, how you were talking about blood and it's like a boxing scene. And like, I just think of the cover art for The Fighter with Christian right, Bale. Yeah. It's the same color palette. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. It, that's that's exactly what struck me in that scene is like, that is not a drummer scene. Like, this is a fighter scene. Yep. Yeah. Yep. In a stripped down, like, apartment, you know, with threadbare, you know, with singular drive. And it's it's interesting oh, we too. We didn't even we didn't talk about he he like moves out of his like dorm room and like lives in like the room where his drum set is. He like moves his mattress down there, takes his alarm yeah, clock down there. Yeah, we did not there. talk about that at all. I, yeah, like yeah, that's just it, like what Calvin is saying is just this drive to like he he lives with that thing. Like it's yeah, there's just so much stuff in this movie. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely so good. <laughs> But don't take well, our I'm word sorry. for it. I'm sorry to I'm sorry to ruin your thought provoking question. We yeah, just... <laughs> I thought I was like because because I, I wanted to see it, like you know, well I'd musicals like know, are very okay. like you know it's it's it can be a fraught discussion depending on what perspective you're looking at. I and... think it's not a musical because I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like well, okay, so we know that he. Directed La La Land was his next movie after this, is which that, which is a musical. That's a musical. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, that oh kind of... my god, that makes me not want to watch it so oh, much more. You, I think I think the more you watch um, good musicals, you'll you you because I, I hated musical too going into college. Um, there is a, a deeper level to these that that really make them interesting. There's a lot more going on that, especially if you watch something like with uh, Bob Fosse, um, the idea of the camera dancing with the actors it's so much different than than a play or theater um because now you have this perspective this character of the camera functioning within um within a musical single it's there's a there's a a deeper layer there and which is why i find film to be the one of the most expressive um mediums because it's it's as close as possible to replicating human experience. Yeah. A single, a singular human experience. But I agree. So I think we've 
Have we have we wrapped this one I, up? I would say so. It's a ten cocksuckers yeah, out of ten. Say, I would say ten cocksuckers out of ten cocksuckers. Yeah, ten. Yeah. I'd say ten out of ten. This is yeah. This is honestly would one of my all time favorite movies. Um, I I think it's one of the best films ever made. So. Yeah, I think when I, you I know, got, I got older and I stopped thinking like, the Godzilla movie that came out in like what nineteen ninety ninety eight. I think when I stopped realizing that like, because when I was a kid, that was my favorite. Movie. Oh yeah, I love absolutely. that movie, dude. So I, I think when I started uh, viewing films more seriously, when I got older, and this is the first one I watched, and I was like, this, oh my god, this, this is, is one like, of the first ones. This is like yeah. a seriously like great movie, and. I a thousand percent recommend this, and and again, you don't even have to like jazz. It's just great because the characters are great. No, and you the, don't have and to the... be related in music in any kind of way. Most people are going to watch this movie and identify with the relationship going on in it. Yeah, I just yeah, I could not recommend this enough. Definitely yeah. ten cocksuckers out of ten. Yes, yep. definitely would suck again. <laughs> <laughs> ten, ten, ten would suck again. <laughs> All right, so before we end this, this is a little bit of a deep cut. If you are a fan of Avatar Legend of Korra, J.K. Simmons voices a character named Tenzin in it. Aang-san. And he, they, someone did a, a dub of J.K. Simmons' like incredibly vulgar lines from Whiplash and then dubbed them into like a video with Tenzin speaking them. And Jaden sent me this video, and it's amazing. It is just, it's fantastic, dude. Like, I don't know how hard these people like looked through the Legend of Korra just to match up the scenes with yeah. his vocals. I mean, the editing is just... It's, it's fucking fantastic, it's so dude. They just had me watch it to give my give my critical eye to it. It's just... It's so, amazing. Film so, festival uh, worthy. Yeah. The link the link will be in here. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Also, you know, and it, it's that much better if you've seen both. If you've seen Whiplash and Legend of Korra. Yeah. So if you plan on watching Whiplash, I would watch Whiplash first before you watch this this video because too it, it might ruin some of the the sheer organic magistry yeah. of some of these <laughs> of some of these lines yeah definitely definitely watch whiplash movie i don't necessarily think you have to watch legend of Korra to enjoy this but but yeah it's so great yeah it's, it's, it's and awesome. again this is a deep cut yeah. if you really like both of these movies like but this movie and this series it's so so funny yeah it's, if it's you're awesome. still with us at this point in the podcast <laughs> It's 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 incredible, and so I think uh, I think with that we've we've that was that was basically what the podcast was about was to get to this YouTube just video this one point, yeah. about J.K. Simmons as Tenzin. Uh, we could have done the whole podcast just on that. <laughs> so I think we're gonna talk about uh, like what we're watching lately. All right, so I just finished Project Hail Mary. It's by Andy Weir. He wrote uh, The Martian. Which everyone everyone loved. That was like his first book, which is crazy because it was turned into a movie. It's like the almost, movie with Matt Damon. Yeah, right? it, yeah. it was like instantly turned into a movie. Like it was, it's a great book. It's my favorite book. And then he wrote another book called Artemis, which is is fine. But this one is really good. Uh, it is very heavy on science, but it's like explained in a way that like anyone can read it. Like I've taken physics and I've I, I know enough about biology and those are like really heavy themes in this book. Uh but it's all like kind of explained to like a layman, you know, it's all broken down. I know I, I, I commented about the I, I talked about a, a different book I read last time and it was very technical and it was not easy to follow. This is very easy to follow. Like the first chapter of this book is him he's like experiencing heavier than earth gravity and he just kind of wakes up and he doesn't know why it's happening so he works out like is he in like a 
a centrifuge? Like, is he is he spinning around? Like, why is he experiencing this? And like the first two chapters is just about that, Neat. and it's fascinating because it's broken <laughs> down in a way that like anyone can understand. And if anyone's familiar with like his his writing style, it's it's very. Um, and if you watch The Martian, it's 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 like there's a problem, and then there's a a time where he like kind of figures out how to like resolve that problem. And that's a lot of what this book is. The main characters, maybe not like my favorite or great, but the problems he runs into and then his solution for them are awesome. And it's, I was enthralled the entire time I was like, because again, I, I listen to these in like audiobooks while I'm working and I was just like into it. I was so into it. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great book. Any, if you're a sci-fi fan, if you've read his other books, I think this is, is great to listen to or, or read whatever, whatever you want to do. I love this book. And I love that it's very science-based and all the science seems really practical, but it's like not uh, like too, too like, uh, it's not like built up. It's not too gaudy. It's not like too hard to understand. It's a great book. I love it. It's very, very cool sci-fi and I think everyone should read it. So that's what I got. That's what I've been doing lately. Nice. Nice. What was the book called? It's called Project Hail Mary. Okay. I don't remember if you said it or not, but now I do remember that I you did, did say I it. Did, right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> right at the beginning. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I, I've been uh, – so um, I've been watching some Netflix. Um, I'm watching Master of None with Aziz Ansari, uh, which I'm a big fan of before. Uh, season three just dropped like, a couple days ago. Mm. Um, I've been re- – Oh, fuck. There's a third season of that? Yeah, it just came yeah. out. Oh, man. Okay, I like yeah. the first two. Yeah, for I'm sure. a huge, huge fan of it. Um so I got done. I just got done finished watching season two because I was rewatching Catch Back Up, and I got into the first episode of season three. It doesn't seem as good. Oh, really? yeah, yeah, I actually, I actually just read a uh, a review of that on the Atlantic because I have no intention of watching it. And uh, what it, what it was talking about is um, the role of, uh, or basically the theme of relationships ending as a story, um, and how. It, it it's we're so often thrown into the middle of the ending of a relationship yeah. we don't really understand why they got together in the first place um or what was redeeming like why why do these characters care for each other yeah it seemed very very out of place um, yeah it was just thrown in i just i didn't even really know where the story was going right off the bat so it was weird yeah but yeah, a huge apparently. fan of the first two seasons i mean if you haven't seen the show i mean you should check God, it out that kind of bums me out because yeah i i i liked i liked the first season a lot i thought the second season it was not as good. It was not as good. Yeah, because the relationship with him and Rachel, I think, is... Which is, I thought that was, that was the core awesome. of, That's, like, the core of the like, story. Because, like, honestly, like, every relationship I've had is very similar to that. It's like, why the fuck am I doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well... Oh, man. Okay, yeah. well, I'll still watch it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still going to finish it, I can't it believe too. I didn't know it was out, because I really liked yeah, the it first just, two. It yeah. just came out. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and then uh, I've been reading um, this book called Non-Zero uh, by Robert Wright. Um, non-zero, the logic of human destiny. And basically what it is, is it's um, game theory applied. So the idea that all interactions between humans are either uh, zero-sum, a winner and a loser, um, or non-zero, where there is um, where there is a, a mutual interaction that where something else is created. So rather than just I buy something from you, you sell something to me, I have gained this uh, commodity and you have gained money to support yourself. There's also this this extra layer of 
trust and communication that has been exchanged to this and how the idea of this simple interaction being applied to all of human history is how we get to the point where we are, where we keep getting larger and larger bodies of, uh, of governance, uh, thinking of going from tribes to chiefdoms to cities to city-states to countries, and why it, it's almost – there hasn't been a stopping point at any point in um, – human history where it's like, okay, we've taken this too far. This is as far as it extends. Everyone thinks that, you know, it, it kind of under um, undermines all the idea of nationalism in general because you know, it, any country that has ever focused on its own nationalist uh, nationalistic identity and um, eschewed its role in the world has been has eventually fallen out. They've they've grow they've gotten uh, older faster than everyone else, and they haven't stayed up to date with technology. Are you so, fucking talking shit about America right now? I, I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, that, at a part like yeah, like the thing is, is like we're such a young country, and we think of ourselves as exceptional. We're so young. We're so young yeah. when you compare. Isn't it, isn't it pretty exceptional that we're so young? But and then we're just the super fucking best. Yeah, exactly. But we're like maybe thing. top five, dude. I, I mean, if you look at education, we're gonna we will not about, be top fifty for in like fifty years. But if I'm not even at, talking education. I'm just saying, like, I mean, but if you just to live here, you know, if you look at if you look at nuclear bombs, we're like right at the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so important because we use those in everyday that's, life. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly. It. And yeah. that's actually that's actually uh, a big theme in the book is it's talking about rather than uh, a big impetus for why technology has advanced is the idea that we were always waging war and we always had to protect ourselves. What if we rethought um, war rather than waging it? Why, why not wage peace and seek those types of avenues to to drive fucking book was written by hippie that sounds very un-american calvin <laughs> <laughs> i mean he is american so there's there's an american tinge to it but yeah it's it's but yeah it takes it takes the idea of um you know why families work well and applies them to societies in general and there the, the logic is the same at both points this is not a narrative book this is a i mean no Okay, I'm just making sure. This, I, it's, I'm I'm pretty interested. In this that, is not yeah. like yeah. Th- this is like a not someone like my book is narrative. Like it's a yeah story yeah. About so this isn't like, this is this is more. Um, so game theory is the idea of zero, uh, some zero and non-zero, uh, <coughs> some games as applied to human inter- interaction. So if you want to understand, you don't really need to understand game theory to understand this book. But it's just a fascinating. Um, concept of of why we why we are moral without religions you know why 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 do we find the same behaviors and the same um the same progress in every human civilization throughout history it's because every single interaction that moves us closer and closer to um technological technological advancement is the same um, the ones that don't, the ones that hold back the uh, transfer of data the uh, and um, technology in general don't stick around. Gotcha. Well, that, I mean, I think we all had pretty interesting ones to bring up. I mean, even though 
Unfortunately, it sounds like yeah, I'm a little bummed, but it sounds like Master of None is maybe not as great in the third season. But I, I, I'm, I'm still, still gonna think, finish yeah, it. But... I think these are all things that are worth worth taking no, a look at. I'm actually very sure. interested in that book. Yeah, you'll have to let me know. Um, you'll have to let us know how many cocksuckers uh, Master of yeah. None. I mean, the first season's is. like an eight out of ten. I don't. Okay, so on our scale, how is how many cocksuckers e- equal one Sebastian Stan? And, and how many Sebastian stands equal one Baron Zemo? Because that's our that's yeah. in our rating system yeah. so far. Oh my gosh, and we gotta throw the Scarjos in yeah. there, like. Oh man, so nothing is uh, equivalent to Scarjo. So yeah, so we, we need to come up with some kind of. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll we'll have it. We'll have a yeah. spreadsheet in a link. Uh, it's about uh, six cock sucking Sebastian stands. Okay. Okay. Wow. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, visual. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, art on the internet between him and Falcon, so that's a thing. <laughs> Love that expression, you know? So I have heard. So I want to kind of end this with, uh, we don't get a lot of comments on these, and that's fine. But if someone wanted to comment about a movie you want us to go over, maybe it's your favorite movie, maybe it's a movie you haven't seen and you're on the edge about and you want to... Or even like a series. Yeah, and yeah. you want to hear us talk about it, I would be totally willing to... I mean, it doesn't matter what it's about. I'll check I would, it out. I would yeah. love to shatter your dreams. Literally, first comment will be a yeah. movie that we talk yeah, about. Yeah, probably I mean, actually, yeah. Fucking be Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like, I don't care. Wow, um, that's actually that's a good actually movie. Very good movie. I mean, it, it, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be interesting to talk about, like, Wes Anderson in general and his yeah. style in general. He's yeah. very, He's very got unique. He's something. I'm not in love with this movie. So. Oh, man. Yeah, but th- then we should talk about it because that would great. such a great <laughs> conflict. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'd love so to. So on the next episode, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to hear what anyone, anyone else, if you have an opinion on a movie and you want to hear us talk about it, or you know, if you've seen something you really like and you want to hear what we think, I, I, I'm totally down. I'm not gonna watch a video about like an instructional video on how to wash a car. Don't tell me that. But if you have a, <laughs> if you have like a real thing you want us to watch, I'm, I'm, I think we're yeah. all game, and, yeah, and I'd love do. to. I'd love to hear what uh, you guys had to talk about. And uh, with that, I think we're coming to an end. So. Uh, I'm your host, Connor, and I got my co-host, Jaden. And uh, today we have uh, former guest, Calvin. Thank you for having me on again. <laughs> he will be on forever. Thank you, so. thank, yeah, thank you for having me on forever. And uh, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.